G'day, Swillians. Deadly and Smitty here. Smitty! Guys, look, we've been doing Ain't That Swell for a long, long time, and we will continue to do it. And we love it. And we do it for you guys. The core is the core. The swelly and army. We love yous. The swelly heads. The swelly eyes. <laughs> Committed to putting a smile on your dial, day in, day out, while you're mixing mud, laying bricks, pouring concrete, putting up scaffolding, whatever you're doing. Driving up and down the coast. Yeah. Even just sitting in your driveway, avoiding going into the house. <laughs> to confront your screaming family. But you know what? Um, yeah, we want to keep on doing this. We want to do it bigger and better, and we want to uh, keep touring, and we want to basically bring more swelling vibes into your life. Ain't that swell vibes? So we have finally put a donation page on our website, theswellians.com. If you feel like you want to contribute to us doing more, being better, that would be fantastic. So listen, there's a donations button on our website, theswellians.com. If you uh, love what we do and you want more of it, jump on. I mean, $1 great. $50 is better. 200 grand would be fantastic if anyone out there has uh, deep pockets. Looking at you, Bezos, you fucking, <laughs> you fucking stingy capitalist. But, uh, it's there. Thanks very much. We love yous. On with the show. Mad. Hey, uh, well, first of all, I'd like to say, and I ASP are going to find me, because I want to be a part of this fucking jump, want to be tennis tour. You know, I think they got their, his testicles so far off their mouths that this is bullshit, you know? I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about having won the world title and, and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack the lip, pull back, drop down, say, bah! Well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did travel some humongous ways. Oh, that's the table thing? Oh, that looks good, Ivan. Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jen and Vaughn. Oh, those guys are back! <laughs> Get a haircut, Yes, looters, larcenists, protesters, and dirty fucking pigs. Welcome to Ain't That Swell, the radio show dedicated to cutting fucking sick. Mm. I'm your host, the two-time gold cone piece award-winning surf journalist, Scum Valley's finest himself, the Sultan of Psilocybin, the punch-drunk pikey, Smivy. On your Smivy. I'm joined in the studio, as always, by my loyal co-host and friend, frontman of the Goons of Doom, former editor... Surfing World Magazine, Tracks Magazine, Waves Magazine, Vaughn, Corn, <laughs> Deadly. Welcome to the program. Good to Vaughan. be here, mate. Good to be here. Really good to be here. Mm, yeah, mm. Great to see you. We've actually uh, we've got a special guest in the studio with Stoked. us today. He's a former World Tour competitor, uh, a Cronulla born. Back on the World Tour, mate. Shrednik. Back on. Back on. Don't forget, mm. he qualified. Well, well last time we is had him still on the show. Is that thing, he's surfing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's qualified for nothing. Mm. That's what's happening. Connor O'Leary, welcome to the program. Thanks, Mimi. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Good to have you back. Hey, uh, last time we saw you was at the gong. You were in the uh, the crowd with the Swillians, and uh, we had a bit bit of a chat to you about how things were sort of playing out for your QS campaign, and you got it done, mate. Congrats. Thanks, mate. Yeah, well, that was yeah, that was like a couple of days before i was going to hawaii to you know hopefully finish the deal and um had a sick night sitting listening to you guys and listening to lowey and all these stories and that and mm. um yeah it was it was good uh good little reset button before i went to hawaii and had to you know deal with that all 
that whole thing over there. <laughs> what was it like listening to Terry Richo's stories about going to Hawaii back in the day? I must put a rocket up here. How was it? It's just it's honestly all I remember is him just saying, "Yeah, you know, just getting punched and punching people," and it's <laughs> 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 like so hectic. I, I wanted to know, uh, you know, after uh, having done a couple of QE campaigns, qualifying twice now. And then having your little mate Morgan Sibley, the swelly and spirits mascot. He's our, uh, he's our, we love him, don't we? Oh, he's very good, Morgan. But very what, good. What was that like, mate? Being part of sort of his journey uh, in over there in Hawaii too, because obviously you had your own goals that you needed to achieve. But what was it like, sort of seeing him just get over there and and come from nowhere to qualify? Yeah, I mean, I was I was fortunate enough to kind of see his whole year play out. I mean, from the start, he, I remember him coming up to me at. The US Open was like, fuck, I, I don't know. I think I need to make one more hit to get into the primes for the rest of the year. And I was like, mate, you can do it. Like, you know, just just send it like you always do. You know, don't <laughs> think about it. Just do. And I feel like that's just him. Like, just don't think and just go forward mm-hmm. and then deal with whatever happens after. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of rolled into that last half of the year and just pretty much did that. Like, it was hilarious, especially in Europe. Like, he was just... He was doing shit that he wouldn't even know he had in his arsenal. Like, you know, he's just doing airs and going off. Oh, it's mm. probably the biggest backside ever else I've done in a heat in my life and um, just shit like that. And, yeah, he was he was, he was epic to watch. Mm. Yeah, you've been calling him the Morgs Borg. He, uh, mm. He's a bit of a cybernetic organism, isn't he? Yeah. Hey, so just... Very much just a straight down the line. Uh, don't think too much. Don't overthink it. Just rip in and take that's... its fucking head off. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that's, that is what... I find so fascinating about him. There just doesn't seem to be any head noise. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know. He's on autopilot, born. He's like one of those new Teslas. He's just such a maniac. Sink, slab, surf, heat, win. Yeah. Well, when we had him on the uh, the Australian Board Riders Battle app. You know, how good was he? He got, oh, he was he got shared up to the uh, stage and uh, every question was just like, yeah, I don't know, I'm just going to take their heads off, like you said. Shared onto the stage, clasping like a, I think it was like, he had a six-pack of VB in each hand, <laughs> covered in dribble and beer. It was, uh, it was exactly what you want to see out of a rookie competitor on the uh, 2027 uh, World Tour or whenever it resumes. <laughs> mm, it is. Uh, but, yeah, so uh, that, that was cool. It did. What about you, mate? Like, you know, you, you get all amped up to uh, surf on the on the Woozle. You're only a few weeks out and all of a sudden everything's pulled. What what's what was your headspace sort of uh, when all that was were you going down? Yeah. Or were you slightly cheering? I was, I, it, was, it was strange. Like uh, I went to uh, Manly to do that QE at the start of the year and, you know, off-season was good. I was just kind of surfing and having fun and training a bit and went into Manly and lost first heat. And the waves were shit, and you know, like I've, I've, I don't, I don't think I've made a heat at Manly for like five. Oh, or six I heard years. you saying that to the Lip Boys, and yeah. um, you, you, <laughs> you were saying, "Oh, I've got to go up to Manly. We'll see how we go. I've never made a heat there." And I was watching closely <laughs> after that, and you just <laughs> tanked it so bad. <laughs> what is it about Manly? Why? Uh, no offense, of course. I mean, no, not taking it. Surf like shit. Yeah, <laughs> I sucked. <laughs> what, what is it about a uh, knee-high wind swell that you find so difficult to? Grovel the absolute bejesus out of. I don't know. Like, I, it's a dribbly event, isn't it? It's I a don't, fucking must be a torturous stop on the schedule. But I don't struggle anywhere else if it's knee high. That's the thing. Like, mm. I, like last year I did. I went to Japan and did the whole Japan thing, and that was pretty similar. Like there were days where it was pretty good, but it was pretty small and gutless. And 
There's no look. I just want to be clear. There's no shame in struggling when it's knee high <laughs> yeah, gibberish. No. I mean, I think that's almost something to be proud of, isn't it? Mm. Especially when you're you know heavy like I am. Fuck, it's hard. Yeah, you're a big rig. <laughs> what are you? Six seven? You're towering <laughs> over me. No, I'm like six oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Fuck, I'm I'm not that tall. I'm just I think I'm just heavy. Mm. <laughs> heavy set, big bone. Heavy bones. set, uh, yeah. Too uh, much dirty bird. Any just takeaways from from the time off, mate? Like, have you uh, sort of felt like it's been good for you surfing or, or good for you, sort of like the year when it comes back or your competitive nature yeah. or has it just been just sort of chilling? It's been so refreshing, I think. You know, because we're – I was talking to Cruzy about this the other week. It was, we're so wired to, to going from, you know, March to December and then having December to February off – and then doing that whole thing again, you know, mm. we've been doing it for years now. And it's such a weird feeling to think like, oh, there's no events leading, you know, we're not, we're not striving for an, uh, the next event or, you know, but it's been good because I've been uh, moved into a new house and been doing heaps of landscaping. So been seeing Vorno and Bunnings a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> we got yelled at, yelled Smitty. We got, what, moved, for fraternizing? we got moved along for fraternizing in Bunnings. Mm, unsurprising. <laughs> Yeah, we probably got blown up at for talking <laughs> <laughs> at Bunnings. But, yeah, no, it's been good. We're just um, – I guess you just got to set different goals for the year. It's been really cool to to be home this time of year because usually we're not and I always hear stories of mates going, oh, you missed this swell, I was pumping here and I'm at, you know, somewhere else. Sakwarima just groveling <laughs> the absolute bejesus out of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Must be hard. Yeah, just going, ah, oh, fuck, it's pumping at home. But um, mm. yeah, it's been, that's an, been good. It's been an absolute uh, cone off of epic proportions, hasn't oh, it? Oh, we've been having some crazy stuff, say, mm, Smitty. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, but... Uh, Packing a couple, yeah. punching a couple. <laughs> but Ble- it's been good. Bleaching, like, bleaching the corn? Yeah, a bit of uh, corn bleaching for sure. Yes, it's, I don't uh, think I've I mean, gone left in this entire swell, not once. Hmm. That's a shame, <laughs> but uh, I'm interested to know, Connor, that uh, you know what did you learn from your rookie year, and uh, how are you going to apply that, and, and where, and you know how are you going well, to improve? I think I'm just just focusing on just trying to get better each year, whether it's you know that point one percent better. Um, as cheesy as it sounds, I feel like the year I fell off, I didn't, I didn't kind of look back at the year before and go, okay, how can I improve on that year to make it better? And I went into 2018 and I think they just got used to my surfing. And then the scores I was getting in the first year, I wasn't getting as many as high in the second year. Therefore I was losing those like close heats that, you know? Um, so yeah, I just trying to spice it up each, each year and, you know, try and stay above that, you know, have you, got a, surfers, really. have you got a coach? Nah. Well, Smithy's available. Yeah. yeah. yeah mate, he has got some pretty good tactics when it comes to ripping people it's up. It's true. It's true. We can, uh, I'll get up, I'll wake you up with a Tommy Radonikus face slapping marathon <laughs> straight into a Wim Hof. Uh, and then I'll, uh, I don't know, I guess like maybe a, I'll grab you by the feet and just kind of start dunking you in an ice bath. <laughs> Yep. Something like that, and then yep. just fuck. I'll be ready. And, and to go. but it's it's, yeah, it's be, the pre it's the preheat ramp up speech. Mm. The Jed's angry preheat That's ramp up. Right. Hope you get the lot, you dog. Hey, get back on protection, you mutt. Hey, <laughs> dog. Oh, sorry. Take the fucking heads off, mate. Yeah. <laughs> it's just going to be like classic seventies rugby league dress That's room right. tour. That's right. You'll be uh yeah. You'll be elbowing people in the back of the head like Terry Richo, <laughs> the last great South Coast. 
World Tour competitor. I mean, there's been a couple in between, but yeah, I think I think it's what the the tour needs. I think it, it really plays into the uh, kind of arsenal of the Australian surfing psyche. You know, the Mikey Wright yeah. approach. Uh, with, uh, what was his name there, the uh, Hawaiian-Brazilian character, Jesse Mendez, that kind of stuff. You know, just fucking get up his inside. Take it off him. It's yours. It's yours to be had. Fuck, that fight was funny, eh? I watched it and it was just like, oh, here we go. This is epic. Oh, mate. <laughs> in the... You were there in the car park. Yeah, in the car park. Oh. I, I was just like... And on quick too. Who is that off? No. Dude, uh, that, that must yeah. have been an awkward when you all got back it to the quickie house. It was so awkward, yeah. It was pretty weird. You all staying in the same house? I... I was staying with Mikey. I don't mm. know where Jesse was. I think he was somewhere else, but I was with Mikey and it was it was pretty funny. It was just like one What was then. the chat? Was was the chat like, you know, fuck man, if we were back in Nara, I would have fucking spear tackled that. <laughs> <laughs> like Apparently or, he was just or, getting all death threats from these brazos and Mikey was just all like, Oh, like, you know. They're good for a couple of Instagram death threats, aren't they? The so good for brazos. It. Yeah. Mm. But it was I mean, pretty funny. They're not the only nationality throwing death threats around on Instagram. Yeah. But uh, fuck, I'm not into it. No, I don't like it either. But uh, yeah, that would have no. been fun. Yeah, I reckon, well, is, there any, who, is there any enforcers on the tour? We always see in every other sport, there's someone who is basically running onto the field or, or, t- or walking onto the court or whatever, whatever sport it is. And they've, they've got that sort of aggressive demeanor that everyone's a bit petrified of Zeke the freak Lau kind of demeanor yeah maybe I mean who, who's, who have you found to be like up in your grill and I, I mean like to the point where it feels like it could be you know the hair on the back of your neck standing up and you're going fuck are we going to start throwing down here <laughs> start throwing up. Yeah. have um, you had that go down with anyone not really like Zeke has that demeanor I mean he's I don't think he's very that intimidating to be honest but he, he definitely does have that Aura around oh, him. It's like if he's listening, he's just written yeah. your name yeah. down. He's right. This in the yeah. black book. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, with this, with the whole priority stuff these days, it's so hard to have that kind of scary. You know, I'm mm. scary. But like back in the day, it would have been so much. Yeah. But like, even even with like, I mean, Sonny Garcia obviously was like a guy who everyone just you know tried to stay well clear of before, you know, even paddling out. Not Neko. <laughs> Neko wanted it. Yeah, he wanted it. He was backing himself. Yeah. But, I, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there just seems to be a lot more sort of tough men, hard men. Mm-hmm. And, and that goes for the women's tour too. There, were, there was yeah. a, a couple of uh, ladies on the women's tour in the 90s who were just ruthless. I think uh, one of the great pro-surfing Brooks was uh, Trudy Todd and Sam Cornish in the dunes before a heat at Snapper. Before he, mate, they bashed each other, and it was on the front page of the Gold Coast Bulletin. You're joking! I'm what a not. scoop! Wow, <laughs> full blown brawl. Full That's blown so punch good. up. But then what happens like after during the heat? Well, they just smack each other and then both paddle out together and sit together in a heat for 20 minutes and try and beat each other again. Well, you know what? Uh, just off the top of my head, have you, have you got a favourite pro surfing? You know, throwdown. Uh, uh, the Andy Mick one is pretty. That's Pretty, iconic, uh, yeah, iconic. on the beach in France. I like that there was uh, two stages to that. Mm. The conclusion being at the ASP banquet at the end of the year, settled on a building site, of course, uh, around the corner from the ASP banquet that, and that, uh, that presided was... over by, I think it was Eddie Rothman uh, and a few of the other local heavies. But uh, and Nudes Webster, I think, hiding in a, uh, in a pile of cement with a shovel, waiting to, uh, <laughs> waiting to back up Mick if he needed it. But the Juju Ninja needs no help. No. Well, uh, That's man, one of the greats. I think uh, there, there was a Potts and Gerlach. Uh, I don't know if they actually punched on, but uh, in, in one of the 
one of the old Sarge movies, maybe. He he uh, gets his board and shoves it. Potts gets his board and shoves it through Gerlach's board mid heat uh, as they're going around a priority boy and stuff like that. Mm. So. Yeah, there was a bit Holy of a flare-up every now yeah. and again. I liked, uh, also liked Sonny Garcia versus Burley. thought that was a, uh, a good one. Was <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Flores involved in that? I believe somewhere so. Somewhere as well. That was crazy. Jeremy Jeremy that. doesn't mind sort of like getting his back up, does he's he? He's pretty fiery. Yeah. Mm. He's like a... He's like an Aussie French guy, I reckon. He's mm. as Aussie as he's as Aussie as a French guy comes, I reckon. Mm. Yeah, well, he grew you know? up. Uh, he went to high school over here, didn't he? Yeah, he sure on the spent North, some time in Adelaide. Northern beaches. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The loves Avcats. the beers, loves the you know, hanging out with the boys and fucking just yeah, ripping in. Mm, Sick. Mm, mm. Who, who's uh, who's like the you know someone on tour, Connor? Who who I don't know. Maybe the the rest of the world doesn't know just how good a bloke they are. Is Jeremy one of those guys? Jeremy's he, definitely he can, one of them guys, yeah. He can come yeah. off a little bit sort of, you know, with that French, uh, you know, with the, that look yeah. down, you know, sort of arrogance. The, jo- the Joanne look, okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, mm, Joanne's like that as well, actually. He's oh, fucking yeah. one of the best blokes ever. Like, oh. I feel like the Joanne and Jeremy are like the two guys that mm. I got along with really easily for someone that – for people that you don't really know that well, like um, – it's, it's they cop a bit of a, a bad rap, don't they? The French. It's, it's, it's perhaps yeah. unfair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I, I don't know. Why, why do they? I don't know. I, I, I think they mostly have beef with the uh, with the geezers across the channel, and I guess that may have leached over into having a bit of a beef with the the septics. I know they're fairly uh, up the ring hole of you know the op, op, off capitalism in general, they're fucking riding in the streets mm. there at the moment. Mm. Uh, so I don't know. They're a fiery breed. They are not they're, afraid to oh, chop a couple I of fucking them. heads off. <laughs> oh, mate, Come heads revolution time. I um, love him, mate. Joan is the funniest guy on the piss. Like he, him and uh, so uh, the first year we went Does to Sakurima. Does he punch himself in the head on the piss? So the first year we went to Sakurima for the CT. Um, uh, when the event finished, we all lost, and he had his dad over there with him, and uh, we got on the piss. The night before we all left, because we're all on the plane back to wherever we're going home, and um, <laughs> so like we, when we left in the early hours of the morning, they, her, him and uh, his dad were still going. So like, oh well, he's they're like off their heads, both mm. of them. Wow. Left, saw him at the airport the next day, and they both got this like red square on their foreheads, like, <laughs> and we're, and they're like, walking around. John had a black eye. And, hit, and they both had this red square on their forehead. And we're like, I was, was like, this some what? kind of Hindi? Were they uh, like, joined some kind of strange cult? I was like, what, what's what's up with the red squares? And John's like, oh, like last night, like me and my dad have this thing that when we get on the piss together, we put an ice cube on our heads and we headbutt each other until we fucking smack the, until we shatter the ice cube. What? <laughs> and I was just like, you guys are nuts and then he's and i was like what happened to the black eye and he's like i have no idea about the black eye (laughs) (laughs) so they're both just in the airport walking around with this these square like red (laughs) marks on their forehead that is so funny nothing better than a bit of intergenerational degeneracy might have to bring that into the whole wim hof thing instead of just jumping in the uh the ice bath just headbutt the thing as hard as you can until Mm. they all they all break in half smithy yeah, I mean, look, I don't need any more head traumas, to be honest, Vaughn. But, uh, I mean, and to be honest, if, I feel like if rugby league was uh, more popular in France, they'd uh, have no need for headbutting ice cubes. I think, uh, the, you know, whenever um, Australian teams, rugby league teams, would, would tour over there, they said they were the filthiest players. They, they were the hardest guys to play against because it was just Squirrel grippers, eye gouging. Yeah. Ear twisting. And fighters. Fighters love throwing them. Mm. So, uh, yeah, interesting. 
Mm. There you go. Now, uh, well, what do you want to get into first? Surfing or global rebellion? They're two topics I'm heavily invested in. Uh, oh, let's go with surfing first because okay. uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely, you know, it's going to all feed into the current state of affairs, which is fucking disgusting, despicable, but also, you know, it has to happen. Finger buns are just sitting in a room. They're sweet and sticky and absolutely delicious. Finger buns, finger buns, feed your face into finger buns. East Coast Australia lights up with one of the best swells in living memory. Are you kidding me? Uh, it was one for the call lords, really. I saw so many punters getting the waves of their lifetime, just bricklayers and plumbers and builders and scaffolders just getting spat out of six to eight foot orbs, eyes bulging out of their skulls. It was uh, a festival of the cone, frankly. <laughs> Incredible conditions all up and down the East Coast. Uh, Connor, where were you? Secret. <laughs> nah, um, I mean, don't you have to be specific? Where, but uh, yeah, where, I was just surfing the most co- like known spot in Lennox Head. Like mm. I was just surfing <laughs> that whole time, pretty mm. much. Mm. We'll, and, we'll bleep that, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we can bleep it. But you don't really you drive past it when you go into Lennox anyway. So it's just, yeah, it was just crazy. I haven't really surfed since that swell, to be honest. Mm. It's you know that it had that nice bit of east in it, and there was just offshore winds for like four days straight. And it was just six foot and just... Everywhere was pumping. Everywhere was pumping. If you were on the East Coast, you were getting sick, giant, draining cones, mate. It was just a... It was, what you said, Festival of the Cone, a full-blown cone off, uh, cone Palooza. It was mm. just happening everywhere. Cone apocalypse. Yep. And, um, yeah, mate, I just felt like uh, everyone I saw had just sort of spirals in their eyes like a, a Ren and Stimpy cartoon or something. Mm. <laughs> Everyone was frothing. Everyone was sort of like, where did you get it? And the, the language was just the language of absolute stoke, hey? Like everyone was so pumped. And uh, one thing that sort of like tripped me out was just the timing of it. Like we've had such a good run of swell the whole time isolation's been going on. And barring a couple of beaches, uh, particularly around Sydney and stuff, but most beaches you could access during that time. So it wasn't like people were, I don't know, not getting their fix. But to just be sort of surfeit and ready for those days when they come along, oh, it makes a huge difference to enjoy your enjoyment of them. Have you ever seen the, the ocean line up like that? I mean, there's there's been as good as swells, I guess. Like, I mean, you, you go back to what was it the the, the Cape Fear that that red was that 20, yep. 2016 that big east then, northeast yeah just, the July two thousand and one swell. They're kind of it's in that echelon it's of definitely epic tone offs, isn't it? Isn't it? And hundred uh, percent. I guess the trip out was. I feel like you know. Summer and uh, yeah, going through summer into autumn, it, the sand gets so perfectly groomed. It felt like every grain of sand was in the absolute perfect position. And then along comes a six to eight foot, you know, primarily six to eight foot swell, kind of a combo swell o- offshore all day. It just had that perfect storm to it, mm. didn't it, Born? It was, it was it amazing. Was, uh, as good as it gets. It was really. amazing. And it's I- crazy to see all the beach breaks light up and hold a swell like that. You know, up here... It, up here on the north coast, it was, you know, basically every stretch of beach had was resembling pipeline. That's for that's two the three crazy days. thing. But, the, yeah. the, those the, those back beaches and open beaches, like if, the, if there was any chat, like I mean, they just seemed to all have banks and they were all firing. Mm. I, where I surfed during the uh, the good good days of the weekend, 
it was uh it was a couple of eight footers and just proper glassy fanned offshore just full blown nugs and uh like you say it was uh it was just everyone stepping up i just couldn't believe the level of of commitment and just fucking tearing in that i was watching just average punters i saw one guy who who i was surfing with who uh he took off on a wave and he he looked pretty like sketchy on his feet and he just got drained out of his mind. He came out and just buried his hand in his heads and let out this big scream. And also, he got properly can't properly. And uh, it was just that sort of swell. Seems yeah, like you had to really try hard to fuck it up. It was so sick. It's probably the best beach break waves I've surfed in maybe ever. Probably like it. The fact, like maybe you were saying that the fact that how big it was, how how it was holding for that size, but going like top to bottom holding, it wasn't like fat rolling from the middle of the ocean. It was just bizarre, and the fact that everyone was pumping, there was everyone was spread out. Mm. There was no like congested crowd in one spot, and like I don't reckon I surfed with more than ten guys that whole yes. that whole weekend. Yeah, and uh, as a result of that, there was an incredible amount of you know camaraderie and just mutual froth mm. in the midst of this epic cone off. Yeah. There was just you know people screaming their lungs out as other people came screaming through giant orbs. It was uh, it's as good as I've felt about surfing and the surfing community in general. It's a fucking ball. It's an absolute festivus of the cone off. Yeah. <laughs> it was fucking sick. Melakalikimaka. It was, uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, so true what you say, man. Like, when, when, no, like, there was no opportunity for people to sort of like hog a peak and be greedy about it, uh, you know, because no. often it's just one place here or there that's firing and just, and it just gets inundated by locusts picking every last <laughs> scrap off <laughs> the skeleton. Especially those hungry locusts with their stickers up the nose, hungry for the clip, mate. Hey? Mm. Hey? hey? What about hey? it, mate? Hey? Fuck you now, mate. Hope you get the lot, you dog. Hey, get back on protection, you mutt. Hey, luckily, uh, you don't have uh, stickers up the nose anymore, mate, or have you picked up a sponsor? Nah, mate, nah. Don't have any stickers yet. What? Kidding me? Outright. Get an ain't that swell sticker on the beak. Yeah, we'll, uh, 100%. percent will chuck a swelling sticker on my board for sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we, we can pay you in. Uh, look, I'll, I'll speak to a mate of a mate and we'll see if you can maybe tee up a, a pee or something. I've got a UTFS <laughs> sticker here. You can whack couple, it right gold, couple gold cone pieces. Couple of gold cones. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, I don't know. We're kind of coming out of the mushroom season, but um, <clears throat> been a few of them around too. Number four. Smithy, wave of the swell. I've, I've actually dovetailed this into our new Seggy. Ain't that swells? Team of the week. That's Will's team of the week. Tell me more. Who is our team of the week, Vaughn? Right, well, the team of the week for this episode of Ain't That Swell is called the Morton Bay Figs. The Morton Bay Figs? Twas the night before I'd heard it. The ocean's lusty call. The mangoes full and swollen. Twas a fizzing in my left ball. From a shed in yonder paddock Between a footing and a rock I retrieved my 6-8 Morris coal From its vintage O&E board sock 
Into the sea we entered Just me and my trusty blade No drones or cameras waiting Just a legend to be made And I rode the thundering mountains And the gannets cuckooed my fearless dig No longer am I mortal I'm a mighty Morton Mayfield Befixters, mate Surface who rode swells with more girth, height and majesty Than the mighty tree from which they take their name We're talking about ocean-going mountaineers Whose moxie is so thick with fig nectar You'd need a can of WD-40 Just to get the sticky seeds off your skin (laughs) That's right, Morton Bay figs A parliament of unprecedented corishness Their patch is olive, brown and green And no showboating here No pomposity, pomposity, pompacity Whatever you fucking want to call that I'll tell you what, though, it's just hell men of the highest order riding the best waves of the recent East Coast low. Smithy, who have you got at fullback? Ha! You kidding me? It's uh, Sheldon Simkus. Uh, Simkus! Locking in there at fullback. Love it. Sheldon Simkus. I mean, it's a strange name. Where is Sheldon Simkus uh, originating from? Is he some kind of Belgian or a... uh do you know, know Sheldon? Sheldon? Yeah, I know Sheldon pretty well. What is a um, Sheldon? I know back in the day that uh, people took their names from the trade that their family was involved in. Mm. And what's a uh, a Sheldon or what's a what's a Simkus? I don't know, but <laughs> what is a Simkus? I'm gonna look that up. That's a great. We should check that. But uh, I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm gonna drop in right now the meaning of Simkus. Ancestry.com says the name Simkus derives from Lithuania. Patronymic from Polish Shimko or Belarusian Shmiko, pet forms of a personal name equivalent to Simon. Sheldon, on the other hand, is an English name meaning from the shield farm, flat topped hill, steep sided valley. Listen, uh, Sheldon Simkus, uh, we haven't really gone into this guy much on the potty before. What, what can you tell us about him? He's just a – I swear every every clip he posts is um, him just getting absolutely coned behind the rocket snapper. Mm. He's just like one of those one of those guys who's just top top gun at the back of behind the rocket snapper. And he's a Kiwi. He's a he's on the Kiwi, right? He's, he's yeah. He's on the Kiwi. Road. Yeah, he's doing that, and um, he's doing. Yeah, he's just doing he's doing the Kiwi and then just getting barreled in between, I guess. He's a really good surface movie. I've I've copped him a few times at Newcastle. What mm. have you got the meaning of Have you have you No, I don't. <laughs> but uh have you Tell had us a about s- the way Squizzit this thing? Are you kidding me? Where is it? It's a monster. I thought that was HTs, giant HTs when I first saw it. Is that straight? Is that that photo he put up? Yeah. I don't know where that is, hey. I like, can tell you where it is, but I don't know if that's uh within the you know, parameters of the program. Well, we'll post it on uh, the Swelling it's, Instagram it's a, it's so you can check it out. Yeah, it's, a, it's a sand spit, you know, somewhere off the east coast of Australia mm. that's accessible only by a ski. Well, yeah, I what? think I know where it is, but I I'm not I think you gonna, do know where it yeah. is. Oh, but, I, uh, I mean, just it looks like, what is that? What, 8 to 10 to 12 fucking feet of pure, like it's like a, what you, how, 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 how tall are you calling huge. that? It's like 10 that's by 10 fucking, sure. 10 by 8 feet. and it, I didn't even know Australia had waves like that. Mm. I didn't know this continent... Could yeah. produce a cone of that and that's, mortal magnitude. That's a sand bottom cone too, right? That's yeah. that's not a reef. So no. like wherever mm. this sand is building up, this swell has just hit it, 
like apexed onto it and completely delivered Simkus the best ride of his probably his fucking life. I wouldn't be surprised if it's the best way of his life, Smithy. Oh, it'd have to be. I, I, apparently, this sand spit was as good as it ever gets. It was absolutely cooking off its dial. Are you kidding me? So, uh, it's, it's fucked yeah. up. I was surfing, uh, surfing all day and getting six foot tubes, and then I saw that photo and just went, "Fuck, I'm a bitch." <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you. I was actually going to ask you that. You know, when you you having the time of your life, you go, going, "This is uh, probably some of the best waves you said before, the best yeah. waves you've ever seen on the." This is as good as it gets. This is as good as it gets. I'm a king amongst men. You come in, you start scrolling through Instagram, you're like, "No, nah! yeah. I'm a piece of shit. I'm worthless. I got no sticker on my board." I'm like, "I fucked it. Why did I surf oh. this six foot beachy when there's waves like that around?" Man, you and you, you're not uh, adverse to big, way, like, you know, what is it? Tubes of mortal cones, coneaquins, right? Yes, coneaquins. <laughs> yeah. That's correct. So, um, um, it does it does it a little part of you inside sort of shrivel up and die when you see uh, yeah. you know waves like that being ridden on a swell where. Yeah, it's fucked. I hate it. You're still picking the eyes out of it? I'm just frothing from the day and then I saw that and just went, oh, I didn't score that great. (laughs) I mean, look, let's let's be real though. A wise man once said, you know, comparison is the enemy of joy. It is. So, you know, don't worry too much about it. But at the same time, I bet that cunt never got really proper (laughs) toned. Some land-based kook. He didn't have Instagram, (laughs) Trapped in the mountains of Tibet waffling on about comparison and joy. What do you know? (laughs) You ever packed a cone or what? You ever seen someone pack a cone twice the size oh, of you? It's funny, isn't it? Like, even, even like when you're in the water, like even like it doesn't have anything to do with uh, who's getting what, where. Sometimes when you get a good one and then you, you pull off and you see the next guy on the better one, like that, that can yeah, kill you. Yeah. That can put a knife through your stoke. Far. Uh, well done, Sheldon, for uh, making fullback of the Morton Bay figs. Same of the way. <laughs> Now, packing in at hooker, hooker slash outside slip, is Bo Cram. This is unbelievable. Son of Scum Valley's finest, Richard Cram. Just is, that, is that that one big one he got? Yeah. Air dropping into what can well, only yeah, be described a as a wave. huge, That's a, that's a bommy uh, near Avalon. Avalon. It's, not, it's not a secret spot. Yeah. They call it Avericks. Believe yeah, it or looks not. Like, I was about to say, <laughs> Avalon's doing a fair impression of Mavs there. But that is that that must be one of the like that thing was just that reef was catching swell like almost nowhere else. That's some of the biggest surf I've seen. I think Narrabeen Bommy had a couple of big ones as well out mm. the back there. Um, yeah, which that is a shot huge wave. But mm. Bo Cram, mate, he was such a little whippet when he was a grom, and now he is just beefed up into his old man's body, and he's just Fuck. taking it. On. That's an 8-2 he's riding there. So, I mean, you look at the scale yeah. of that and the size of the wave. I mean, that is uh, – it's wild to see the East Coast look like that of Australia. Yeah, We're that's not incredible. used to getting waves like that. That is mind-boggling. Mm. What Did you get any word on sort of the, the reefs around your place, mate, uh, where you grew up in Cronulla and stuff? Was there? Well, we're, we're jumping the gun, but the, <laughs> the very next uh, – Oh, next okay. We'll, least... hold, we'll hold off on that. But um, <laughs> just, just on Bo Cram's wave – um, you said before, Smithy, you know, you, it's hard to believe that we've had these waves, you know, doing this the whole time. But if you think right back, right, I'm thinking around about 64, around that time, uh, a guy named Dave Jackman, he, uh, he took a big board after he'd gotten home from Hawaii out to the Queenscliff bombing for the first time. And that's kind of where 
Australian big wave surfing was born. So guys were yeah. guys were like taking taking stock of these swells and these outer reefs. And as early as like you know the mid '60s, they were they were getting out there and having a crack at them. Mm. So mm. Dave Jackman was really like the, the the forefather of of what Bo's doing now. Yeah, there's a few on the north side there, isn't there? Like uh, around Long Reef there. Uh, that that one at Av's like been fairly off the radar. I haven't seen a heap of photos uh, of it. There was a guy called Carl Atkins. I oh, know Carl Atkins. Yeah, yeah. so he, he used N- to. The, surf the Shipstern's nudist. <laughs> That's him going. Yeah, getting arse. the acorn out at, at Shippies oh. and just uh, pretty much flying off the steps. Going ass over cornhole <laughs> off the step. One of the great acts of performance art in Australian surfing. Just get nude, nude in that water takes courage. Oh, but, before you even go off the step or let go of the rope, you're just getting your, getting your piece out in that water. Yeah. I'll tell you, you want to be swinging Look a sledgehammer in. between the legs if you're... Uh, <laughs> Inverted belly button by the time you get in. Mm-hmm, that's right. You want some confidence down there eh, before you did that. But, but he, uh, he takes it on. He, he, he used to paddle out there a lot on big boards. And, but he's uh, a young guy. He's a young guy. Like, uh, you know, how... Why has it taken so long, I guess, for this wave to appear on the radar of the surfing I consciousness? I mean, has, is this just a new movement emanating from the northern beaches? Maybe um, maybe it's got more to do with the, the swell yes. direction and the wind. Because like, m- mostly when that wave's breaking, it's got a, a wild, wild onshore or, mm. or crossshore on it that makes it pretty much undoable. Okay, and there's been a bit of a renaissance in just big wave paddle surfing in general. I mean, obviously, it's been a movement for a good 10 years now, mm. but I feel like that's uh, – I mean, yeah, I guess that's probably the timeline of it, right? 10, ten years that since guys were, you know, waxing up 8.6s and 9.2s. And, uh, I mean, guys are even taken to the, the big bommy there at Ben Buckler at Bondi. There's one out the back of Bronte there in front of the cemetery. Um, I mean, Wedding Cake Island down there near Maroubra. Um, all these waves that were, you know, my whole youth really were, mm. were not really surfed. Um, there was no appetite for them. And to be honest, I don't think that they're great waves, mm. but fuck, they're scary. And it takes some serious waterman knowledge to surf. And I, I just don't know anything about that whole genre of surfing, to be honest. Mm. Like, uh, Connor, is that something that you've dipped your toe into? You got an 8.6 no. or a 9.2? Um, Fuck no way. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, no, nah, I've never really tapped into it, like the big wave stuff. Like, I mean, growing up from in Cronulla, it's, it was all slabs. So it's mm. like short boards, you know, intense shit like that. So it, there's, there's a few bombies in Cronulla, but they're still not like you don't need a 9.0. You, you know, you can ride a 6.6 six and you'll be fine kind of thing. So... No, I haven't really tapped into it, but it would be cool to try once, I think, or, you know, mm. like even like going to White Man doing that and I haven't done it, but, really? I, you know, if I had the chance, I just never have a, a 9-0 that's I've got that I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got this, I'll take it out. And I guess that's the point too. Like is not necessarily a great wave. Like it's one of the most hair-raising, heart-in-your-throat, you know, gonads coming out mm. your tonsils kind of drops in surfing, but that's about all it is. And I think that we have waves – in Australia that are kind of the equivalent to that on their day. Probably yeah. not as consistent. But, yeah, I mean, if that's all you're after, just a skitty, vertical, ledgy 30-foot drop, we've got a couple. I think mm. the, the big thing is, uh, and, uh, yeah, just it all comes down to conditions, right? Because, like, it, we do get these swells, but getting them with the, the right wind. Wind is such a, an enemy here. Like, it's always working against you. So if you've all... If you're going to get swells of that magnitude, it's usually a pretty massive weather front pushing them in. And so, you know, for all, everything to, to just come together perfectly for that recent swell 
and deliver sort of waves like that on the at Avericks and on the uh, the other reefs around the place and, and even those sand bottom spits like just freakish freakish mm. once mm. in a in a decade sort of swirl that one and big shout out to to Crammy Bo Cram you know he's a carpenter by trade he's a Love working him. class hero still packing the absolute monstro cone and leggy drop shout out to all the crams mate it was a Full pleasure having Richard come on the show and, uh, you know, Bo and Dill and um, Baden and, you know, they're just they're such a pack of core surfers, all of them. Mate, this, this, you couldn't be more proud, I reckon, if you're, if you're a dad. You're, 100%. This is, going, this, mm. is, this is like seeing my boys catch waves like that. That's as good as, you know, anything that you could ever see kids do, I reckon. Fully, fully. Yeah. They're also naturally talented as well. Hey? Yeah, like, I mean, growing maniacs. up, I grew up with Bo a lot because he was, we're kind of in the same age bracket doing events and that and he's just so naturally talented like mm. and you can see like i'd watch him all day for the rest of my life for watching him on a finless doing what he does on a finless like it's unbelievable and um yeah i guess he's just got that natural richard cram style yeah. with that with a bit of flair and yeah it's fucking sick on your crammies <laughs> well done the hooker well played cram figs now uh coming off the bench making his debut uh, with pink hair a la Andrew Johns for the Newcastle Knights in the mid-90s. Cooper Mannion at Cronulla Point. Now, this is your neck of the woods. Yeah, Cooper. Connor. Yeah, right. And he's packed an absolute stoinker. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, and I know Mannion's a famous name down there in Cronulla. His old man was one of the, the, yep. the Shark Island pioneers yeah, back in the day. Is that right? he's the lord at the point. Lord yeah, the lord. Just, he was, was kind of like the... the the guy who was sending it the hardest back in the day, for sure. Mm, on the scene. And he still is. is. Yeah. Mind-blowing too, um, just to go off on a tangent for a second, just like, you know, that era, Mannion, Jim Banks, uh, I guess, uh, Ox McKinley, uh, that kind of era, riding single fins at these fucking waves, yeah. at these like stepping, tripped-out slabs. It's pretty mind-bending Mental, shit. Mental, isn't mm. it? Yeah. They, what's the go down there, mate? Like, where does the sort of... I mean, I guess it's just having that wave on your doorstep and seeing it just unload every day. It's going to drag, you know, any curious surfer who wants to have a dig out there eventually. But there does seem to be a heap of charges from down your neck of the woods. Mm. I feel like you, we're pretty fortunate to have a lot of waves around that are kind of big, slabby, scary mm. waves. You know, you got the island and then you got the point when it's bigger than – if it's bigger than six foot, it's a, it becomes a slab, mm. which is pretty scary. And then um, – and on the other side, you got all the reefs, and you got Vui, and yep. then you got Cape, and I mean, it's just it's pretty much just breeding us to surf slabs and get mm. used to slabs. So it's funny, even like moving up here to the north coast. I was talking to Smivy the other mm. the other week in the water. Well, I was like, "Fuck, this place would be so perfect if it had a slab." Like mm. I miss surfing slabs. Like apart from everything else was perfect. It just needed. If they had a slab here, it'd be just be amazing. Saves amazing. you a lot of petrol. You're not perpetually chasing grains of sand around like some kind of <laughs> yeah. manic schizoid. Where are the pits? <laughs> fuck. I was doing, doing my head we'll in. We were up about that the other oh. day. We are like, fuck, it's so annoying. Just It's all got to be bank dependent. And at least with the slab, it's just like this swell, this wind, this tide. Oh, yeah, it's going to be good. You need yeah. a team of flying monkeys yeah. with <laughs> eyes on all corners of the coastline. Um, uh, but interestingly, you know, I think one of the best performances I saw you put down uh, in your world tour career was at Chopes. Like a, it was like a smaller swell, four mm. to six foot, and you were just manhandling it like video game fucking orb riding. It was so sick. Um, and I guess, you know, basically, yeah, it pretty much looks like a psycho fucking really big day at... Yeah. 
Even we're gonna bleep that. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to see. I just want to see a look on your face. <laughs> 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 no, nah, that that place is blown out anyway. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no. Nah, those reefs around there are unbelievable. They're mm. like Verda's probably on its day is one of the best waves yeah, on this coast. It's yeah, a, it's a wild wave and it's it has its day a lot, it's, right? Like, I mean, it's that yeah. south swell, north wind combo is very common in that neck of the woods. It is, yeah. Talk to us about Vuis because it's like it goes in and out of vogue, but at the end of the day, it's a slab that holds big, girthy, you know, eight-foot cones of mortal coniquence. Yeah. <laughs> and the guys who surf it are, you know, there's some legends, like old-school callouts, Jezza Herback mm. and the mob mm. out there, um... Yeah, you know, these Terrapai. Guys, Terrapai. Terrapai was probably the best out there. He's yeah. unbelievable, yeah. isn't he? What a I love Terrapai. You know, by day he's just packing meaty slab cones and by night playing mellow reggae instrumentals, yeah. playing the drums. <laughs> I just remember just surfing, quite the paradox. Surfing Voodoo when it's big and just seeing him on like a 5020 just like fucking getting under it like it's easy as. Like, what the f- He's, yeah, he's a fucking bad man. Mm, and then he's yeah. just, yeah, mixing yeah. cruisy tunes at night. Yeah, he's it's a like, mad multi-instrumentalist, <laughs> right? He's, I remember he was in King Tide for a bit. I used to love that Dig. Re- reggae. Dig, he was the drummer in Dig for a while. And then he was, uh, he's, he's done gigs with... Um, John Butler and all kinds of big... Yeah, I went big to a backyard barbecue. facilities and shit, yeah. I've, he's been doing a bunch of shit. What a combo, what a mad yeah. man. I went to a... Ba- this is going to be a little trip back, back in time, but I went to a birthday party... At Peter Crawford's house in uh, DY when I was uh, about 17, I just started working at tracks. And Suicidal Tendencies played in the backyard with uh, Terrapie on drums. Fucking hell. <laughs> How's that? That is, that's out. Yeah. That's completely out. Yeah, I'm that. giving that the Dickie Bird hooked finger out. <laughs> How's that? Are you kidding me? Yeah, it was wild. And I was like, going, fuck, is this what happens in pro surfing? Like, all just celebrities from all over the world who I love all just hang out at these parties and fucking rip in. Rip right in, Smitty. Were they ripping the bag? Oh, mate, there would have been a fair few. Uh, oh, ripping the bag and licking the bag. Septims the next day after that one, mate. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, good, uh, good times. Good times. Uh, R.I.P. Pete. Cooper Mannion for packing what is a... Look at the... Just the symmetry of that pit. I mean, and look at what's going on out to sea there. It's all just it's so, howling offshore. That looks oh. so heavy. That looks like such a big, long stretch of just slabbing yeah. ocean about to fold on him. What do you know about Coops, oh, mate? Oh, hold Coops, on. Coops, hold yeah. on. Yeah, he's, um, yeah, well, I guess his dad had a, had a dig back in the day and he's just kind of grown into that. Mm. Um, yeah, not, I mean, he's just. A normal kid that just likes surfing big slabby waves. Yeah, it's like, funny, man. This is this is what I was sort of getting at it before, though. But like you know, Jack Irvine's another sort of coloured haired yeah. lunatic who just paddle out Shark Island and, and the point and just get seriously funneled, like fucking so crazily deep and flogged, and makes. And he's just the cruisiest guy. Yeah, you'll see on yeah. the rocks after packing that cone and paint a uh, you know some kind of surrealist portrait of uh, seagulls flying over the water <laughs> whilst uh, you know smoking a cigarette out of one of those long extendable metal pipes uh, yeah. sipping a Pinot Grigio he's, he's a, a cultured lad he is a cultured man he's got Australiana just absolutely wide with all his art if you're not familiar with Jack Irvine's art he does all the uh, all the cover art and, and for the skeggs, for the skeggs. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's all his stuff yeah, he's, he's a yeah he but uh, yeah Coops Coops is well, yeah man. Just a cruisy kid who just likes surfing slabs. Mm. I feel like that's a lot of 
kids down south who you have no idea who, even especially down Old Dalloway, there's mm. plenty of them that are just like mad men that you had no idea <laughs> about. Just mad making man. you, just putting you on the bitch because they're just, you know, you're just like, oh god, this kid's <laughs> sixteen, he's going way harder than me. Fucking oh, hell, dick now. Yeah, it's so, it's humbling. It's sick. Yeah, but wait till he gets a fucking ice cube in the forehead, mate. Yeah. That'll uh, <laughs> knock him uh, down I, a couple of pegs. Are we up to the captain coach? Is this the captain coach? Uh, I just up? want to clarify too. There's a reason Cooper was uh, coming off the bench and oh, not yeah? starting, and that's because it's a no make. Oh, body surf, body surfed out of it. Okay, well played, well played, mm. Smithy. So this is why you're the selector, mate. Uh, but yeah, captain coach of the Morton Bay Figs. Man, the man with figs of absolute steel harvested from the inner rings of Uranus. <laughs> David, the dolphin man, Rastovich. Packing an absolute mega cone of mortal coniquence off the, uh, off the tip here in a rocky alcove. During the swell, uh, just an absolute. I mean, the guy knows how to search out. He, he, when we talk about these teams of flying monkeys, he's got more of them than anyone. I mean, we know he's a, an environmentalist. He's a, a man of the the planetary world. The uh, the he's a mycelium. You know, he's one of the, the the nodes. And I think that just you know, he just has some tapped in resource that none of us are tapping into, Vaughn. Mm. Uh, he just somehow always knows. He's he always knows. in the spot. He's always in the spot, mate. I, I, I David Rastovich. He used to watch him just surf in Lennox Point occasionally and he would sit just away from everyone and get the one wave that fucking pitted out of its dial all the way through the inside track that, you know, nobody even saw coming. He's just got the timing and the positioning of a fucking porpoise, mate. That's the truth of it. A porpoise. A porpoise with flying monkeys? How can a mere mortal man compete? <laughs> oh, but, but this wave looks scary. I mean... Uh, this is, you want to hear what Ben Bugden had to sure. say? The Tracks magazine a photojournalist was, uh, of course, uh, I think he was hiding under a rock there as Rasta took off. Uh, he managed to snap a sequence. The word cove conjures up images of an idyllic and sheltered refuge, but this cove is anything but... Considered by all with good sense to be unsurfable. Hemmed in by cliff to the, no- to the north and south and all but a small three-metre-wide keyhole to the shore fenced off by jagged rocks. It has disaster written all over it. This day all the unfriendly attributes were still there, but the cove was an unruly mess of detonating bombs. Oh, yes. Yet somehow a lone surfer bobbed among the mayhem. It was... David, the Dolphin Man, Rastovich. <laughs> He's obviously seen something that intrigued him. A personal challenge, perhaps. He probed, he probed the line cautiously. A mistake wouldn't end well. Close to half an hour, he sat, sticking his head over the ledge on a handful, but not pulling the trigger. Not like those fucking dirty pigs in the US of A. The large cliffside peanut gallery waiting anxiously for some action. Eventually a nice set rolled in, two waves, the first looking the goods, the second a bomb that would close out. The cove at that moment, relatively free of backwash and wobble, Rasta had his mark. He paddled hard for the first wave, then drove into its innards. Innards! Innards! <laughs> Disappearing behind a first section that exploded all around him. Entrails! A second section fell and he was deep within it. Why had ridden him off? Ridden him off, I tell you! The wave then heaved a huff of spit and out flew Rasta, the peanut gallery, erupting on the headland. 
Job not done. He now faced an uphill scramble to reach the keyhole before being washed into the cliff. After being mowed down by the second wave of the set, he surfaced, put the head down, and paddled as hard as he did for the wave, eventually making it to the keyhole in one piece. One wave and a masterful display that utilised every skill acquired during a life spent reading the ocean. Now that's good surfing. <laughs> I concur, bugo. Hand him the Booker Prize. Give him the Pulitzer. Oh, he's an incredible, prosaic, literary loon, Ben Bugden. Well played, sir. You've captured the energy of the ride. The great ride. I think that's what we'll call it from now on, Smithy. The great ride of the, the cove. The great ride of the cove. David Rastovich. It a song. Stuffs gonna... another cone. Let's do it. Let's, let's write a song about the great ride of the cove. It deserves it, Vaughan. It deserves a whole album. Well played, Captain Coach. Dolphin man, finding his mark, pulling the trigger. Incredible adjectives. I mean, it's just quite, uh, it's just incredible, isn't it? He's never seen Rusty. You don't see him around. And uh, then you look up and scan the horizon. There he is in the innards of a giant cove. <laughs> no, 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 Then the cove, Vaughan. The yeah. cove we're talking about here. The cove. It's a, it's a new spiritual place, I'm going to call it. It's a realm. It's not. It's it's actually not a real place. It's more of a state of mind. It's, it's isn't a it? state of mind, and Rasta lives there. He's not even. I think that's what he does. He doesn't. You don't see him around because he actually hasn't materialized. All these atoms are just floating around in the universe. Ah, and when that's the code secret. comes to life, he materializes just like Buddha under the tree of wisdom. Next thing, he paddles out and gets fucking coned out of his blown eye out of it, blown so hard he turns back into atoms yep. and re-enters the atmosphere. Well, that's what it, that's what happens. The wave spits, and as the as the spit dissipates into the universe, so does Rasta. Incredible, yeah. one of the absolute greats of the surfing pursuit, Vaughn. Except for me So just you stop 
Glinderman Vaughan. What is this? Uh, what trade would a Glinderman be? He's uh, some sort of man of the glind, I imagine. Glinderman. Glinderman. A glinder by trade. A glinder. What does a glinder do, I wonder? I don't know. He sounds uh, like is, a, that... is he some kind of a. Maybe it was a. I feel like it was some kind of ancient uh, old school trader, perhaps for the aristocracy where you would go, pa- uh, go past the aristocracy and uh, just rip the. The glind out of their belly buttons. Was, is that what a glind? Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. is that what a glindeman was? I was thinking it could have been also like gold plating fruit. And then harvest it and turn it into beanies. And, and maybe a, put like a piece of fruit on the end of a big stick, dip it into sort of melted down gold, and you, you pull it out, and that's that's glind, glindering, glindermaning. Mm. Possibly. The glindeman by trade. What do you know about the glindeman, Connor? I mean, he's uh, put an absolute stoinker of an edit out through Stab Magazine. Just loose limbed, fancy free. Footloose and fucking caving a couple of lips heads in. Yeah, he's a fucking little legend. Um, nickname's Pup. Everyone calls him Pup. Um, Pup Glinderman. Originally from North Narraban. Oh, he's a Is Narrab- he really? Narrab- boy, yeah. A Narrabenian. <sighs> yeah. So, yeah, he grew up at Narraban. That think explains was, why what, he's so universally liked. <laughs> Don't know exactly, but I think he was... Like 12. Okay, that's pretty. 10, 12, yeah, so yeah. He, he cut his teeth in the lineup at North. Yeah, no, he, he's. But he's got such a North Coast style already. He does, he, yeah. He's got that classic sort of uh, top heavy Margot sort of vibe going on. Like there's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of space between what his top half is doing and where the, when the board starts to move, I've noticed. It just is like big. It sets itself up for big, big turns. Yeah. Love serving with him. He's great yeah, head oh, out in the lineup. What's the dims on him? Is he is he a tall character, a lanky, rangy kid, or is it all a bit of an optical illusion? He's got huge feet. He's like pretty short. Oh, he's not that he's not that short. He's and you know what like they say five about eight. five eight. Oh, okay. He's pretty stocky, but he's got fucking huge feet, Fabi. He's sixteen, I think he's got size like eleven feet. Mm. You know what they say about people with uh, giant feet? Mm. You can't get a fucking pair of shoes that fits for him. It's a nightmare. But I think I think he's he's he was in Narrabeen long enough for every year they go to the board riders battle, all the Narrabeen boys are like, when you fucking coming surfing for Narrabeen, why are you surfing for Lebar? Like rah, rah. Oh, so he's I'm guessing the heat. he's I'm guessing he's been there for long enough down there that But yeah, he does it. He's got that crazy North Coast style. Like it's like he's just grown up surfing Lennox Point for well, yeah, and pretty much has, mm. but he's really he's really interesting. Like he's one of those, he's one of the only kids I know for how old he is who's got such a mature style, but doesn't do airs. Mm. Doesn't do airs. Mm. He just has no kind of interest in trying. No, he did a couple of big them. tail blows in that clip that are yeah meat axe meat axey crazy like 
Yeah, just no airs. I don't know. I don't know why. I just think he just he's like, oh, I'd he just rather not. He try them. Uh, dropped a clip from Big Cloud Break. I think last year that was pretty sensational. Like you know, like a, a bit of an announcement. For a mm. guy sort of getting up there, getting into one of those big heaving swells and really packing it. Fucking how old but is this guy? 17? 16. 16. 16. Yeah. And he would have been, what, 15 packing Monstro Pacific cones at yeah. the cloud break? And the, uh, really giving it some. Yeah. Did you see that clip, mate? It was, yeah, uh, it was crazy, amazing. Yeah. So, That's fucking wild. Uh, but, yeah, I've been uh, – you, you surf with him a lot. Yeah, um, I hang out with him a bit, yeah. What's his sort of uh, take on, on where, he's up, where he's going and, and what's going on? Because, like, there's a – We've spoken about Lennox quite a bit on mm. the show in the last few weeks for uh, numerous different reasons, but um, there's a full little push coming out of Lennox at the moment. I was surfing uh, the point the other day with uh, Mikey McDonough, and he mm. is flaring, mate. Jeez, he's a good surfer. The Lennox yeah, push. Rips, yeah. yeah, so there's, 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 uh, there's some talent going on. What about, what about Glindo? What's his, uh, yeah, Pops, what's he's, his he's, movements, do you think? He's just such a cruisy kid. Just, you know, he does events, but... Not too many. He doesn't do very well in them because I just think that with the waves they have on offer and his surfing doesn't suit short, quick waves. It's just because he's got such a smooth, drawn out. Mm. He like draws out his lines and he t- takes his time a lot that he struggles in those small, small, short waves where kids growing up in other places like, you know, the sunny coast or in Sydney are so used to it to just go up and down and he just gets bitten by them and... Mm. He so yeah he just he I think last year he just did a few select events but he's still you know he surfs heaps he trains a bit he, he trains with me a bit with um Pete and um yeah he's just a cruisy kid who goes to school and gets clips as <laughs> much as he can and yeah loves it good on him good on yeah, him he's, he's dropped a hell of a humble. clip and also Smivy I'm bringing him in as a five eight in the uh, Morton Bay figs as well he's mm. he's getting a start in the team because he packed a. Hell of a fucking stomper out there. I think the same wave you were surfing, mate. Yeah. A big one. He got one of the big sets and he just fucking free fell into the thing. Classic backhand tube riding yeah. style. Hooked it in late. Yeah, Typed the entire length of that set. He has a dig. Man. He's fucking crazy. You wouldn't expect him to... Wouldn't expect a kid like that to have a dig just with the with his nature and, you know, how calm he is. And You've got to watch out for the quiet ones, though, mate. Watch out it's for always the quiet, the quiet ones, ones yeah. isn't it, Smitty? Mm, mm. And speaking of which... Are you going to get a start in this Morton Bay fig team or what? You were picking the eyes out of that swell. Uh, you were everywhere, mate. Every time I turned around, there was more clips of you just getting double arm drags into the pit. Just, mate, you were flaring. Come on, you, got, you had a good, good run. I could perhaps be the strategist because I did weasel my way into quite a, you know, a, a pretty large amount of good quality sessions during mm. that swell. Yeah, I was picking the and eyes you, you out were, of you. Right you board. were around <laughs> the place too, yeah. Mm. You, were, you were kind of everywhere. You weren't just sticking to one spot and getting your feel. You, you mm. were... no, I had a couple of flying monkeys up there in the sky. Well played, son. <laughs> well played. Drones, eh? mm, a couple mm, of drones. Mm, we had mm. some good sessions. Yeah, seen we did. You, seen you pack a couple of sick ones. Mm, mm. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well that. <laughs> no, that credit where credit's you. I, I reckon there's a. Uh, credit you know, me up. There, Give there's me some an credit. Art, there's an art form to actually getting the best out of these swells when they when they turn up. So you got to be right on it. I mean, everyone had at least one good surf, but you know, you got like a handful out of that. Well played, sir. Well played, Smithy. Well played, Smithy. You're mad. MVP. <laughs> Number one. Miguel Tudela blows the wave of the oh, fucking millennium. What a claim to have on your name. Me? Wow. 
Wow. I mean, look, let's be uh, let's be fair. It was an absolute atomic detonator of Fukushima, Hiroshima, French Miraroa Atoll consequence. Like, mm. t- talk us through this pipeline, Conan. Have you seen this thing I yet, Conan? I haven't seen it, nah. Is it crazy? Yeah. I mean, it's it's just one of those ones that sort of comes onto the reef from all different directions at once. Yeah. It's, it's like it's coming from... North, it's coming from west. It's it's sort of doing that a chopes thing, yeah, you know, right, when it gets scary. that huge big bowl and uh, yeah. it gets thicker as it sort of winds down the reef, which doesn't always happen at pipe. You no, kind of, yeah. you know, uh, I think like with when you're really uh, analysing pipeline and and backdoor and the the pipe masters over the years, backdoor is just a wave that stays, you know, really open and often shuts down on the inside, whereas pipe can sort of almost just just peel off into that perfect oh, little exit. God. Um, Talk through what you're seeing there, Connor, on my um. Yeah, what phone. are we looking at with this wave, though? I mean, it is so beastly. Why he jumped? He was already into that, pretty much. Was he? I don't know. Well, that's why he's blown the wave of the millennium yeah. so far and slots into well, number like, one. He's a Peruvian groover, Miguel wow, Tudela. Wow, that wave was unbelievable. Can, least... can confirm that was uh, Anthony Walsh on the shoulder sniffing around. Oh, he would have been blowing <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he wanted it. He wanted yeah, it. Yeah, he would have uh, been blowing up. Walsh, he serves for Hawaii now. Did you know that? He's, he's, um... Walsh, yeah. Oh, Walsh, has been hanging around here. I've seen him yeah. hanging around, yeah. The goat, Kelly Slater, chipped in on the comment thread there on the Stab Magazine clip. So, so nice. Gnarly to go with no chance. So the goat calling it a, a no chance. Wow. He, he was kind of already in, in. I don't know. That wave was really big. The goat so, knows, mate. Yeah. The goat knows. Maybe it had like a crazy. Maybe it had a crazy step in it that we just can't see. Because I think where it jumped, where he jumped, it looked like it kind of went really like square. Yeah, I mean, that's a freak yeah. of nature, that wave. You can't imagine yeah. it would have behaved in a regulation fashion, the way it blows out. Like, the blowout on it is nuclear. Don't you reckon, that's just a atomic monstrous blowout. horseshoe, that one. Yeah. When, when you see those, crazy. when you're yeah. sitting out there, Connor, and um, we've had uh, so many people talk about pipe over the years on the show. Like, uh, some surfers feel comfortable with it, others just feel like they can't get a read on it ever. Like, how do you go out there? Do you love it? It's not too bad. It, uh, I mean, it's it. I, I don't find it that daunting mm. because I've surfed waves that are more daunting. Yeah, I feel like pipes a pretty easy wave in regards to getting into it. If unless it's like a wave like that, but mm. um, have like you have you done like the second reef roll through? Never done like the into second first reef. first because you can't or? get them right. It's just impossible. Oh, like the, the local yeah. dudes lock those sets down. Like the the regulation yeah. roll in dreamy cakewalk ones. We've discussed this on the. Yeah. Show before, like there's perfect waves out there, but no, uh, no mainlander or howley, uh, or <laughs> nah. non locals getting it's a, Uncle getting Mike a look just at flying it. down those big second reefers, isn't it? Yeah, or exactly. Makua yeah. or Kalani Chapman or you know, Jamie O'Brien. There's fucking an absolute endless pecking order that uh, no uh, white man really factors into. No, nah, I mean, I, every time I surf, I don't, I don't really catch waves out there, but um. Yeah, which is pretty frustrating, but I feel like the the sessions where you like paddle out knowing you're not going to catch waves, then you end up kind of getting a few and going, eh, that was okay. Mm. But I feel like the worst, like you said, like it's always the the crazy wipeouts, are always those ones that those guys don't even look at. <laughs> yeah. and, you, and then there's just all those hungry guys, like, oh, I'm just going to go for the sake of it, and then they just get flexed. Oh. But yeah. overall, like there's oh. the good ones are like pretty easy in regards to like getting into as long as you set your line and. You know the wave, the wave, and the 
tube so big that has anyone like touch you? Sort of hooked you up with some, uh, you know, landmarks and, and get your lineups all styled, kind of. or have well, you when, just been sort of? When I was with Louis, Louis Egan, he because yeah. I was working with him in the first year I was on tour, he was pretty good with. It's just kind of that one big boil. Mm. Just hang around that one big boil and. You'll be all right, kind of thing. It's interesting. It's a real milestone of the pro surface career getting a big bomb at Pipeline. I mean, you look through the the kind of generations or the the top level talent in Australian surfing. I can remember Mitch Colborne when he got his big cone out there. I remember mm. Owen Wright as a fifteen year old. Mick Lowe did the same as a sixteen year old. Just stoinker. Dane Reynolds, you know, a guy who is completely averse to surfing in crowds and clusterfucks but he got a psycho one out there and then pretty much got spat out of that and went straight back to Ventura and I don't know if he's ever been seen on the Seven Mile Miracle again. <laughs> Never caught away the pipe ever again. No, yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's kind of something that's got to be done almost. Agreed, yeah. I, I've, I've uh, sort of sat on the beach there over the years and uh, on days where it's sort of huge and cross shore and not many crew having a, having a dig at it, you know, they're, they're the days you, you would see back in the day um, you know, like Andy King paddle out, yeah. surf it by himself. And uh, Dean Morrison, he was always surfing on days like that. And, and Kieran Perro, he's another guy who just would just paddle out and just pull into anything that came their way just to, just to get it, just to get a piece of it. And uh, far out, it was inspiring to see those, man. Mm-hmm. Like, because, uh, yeah, on, on those perfect days, it, it almost looks like, no, like, I mean, it, it looks less fun than the days when it is a bit cross shore and ugly because it's just so busy. And uh, the the crowd factor just becomes, you know, fucking ridiculous. So it's like it is honestly like snapper when it's when it's like perfect. Even it's fifteen foot, like really scary. Well, it's snapper, it's like the crowd at snapper, but everything's condensed, so it just makes it fifty times harder to get a wave. Because as soon as you see a wave, there's like ten people that swing before the wave, even you know, is mm. ready to get caught. So it's just like. At least with snapper, you get, there's a bit, you know, it's a bit more stretched, and and then you got those heavy locals that just look at you and they're like, "No, nah, you're not well, going." I paddled out there uh, <laughs> this year uh, before you know the whole shutdown, Smithy. I went out there one arvo, and um, it was dead glassy, just heaps of crew on it. But Bruce Irons and Derek Ho were just sitting out the very back, just like a couple of almost like a couple of just I don't know brooding dark forces you know they, they didn't look around they weren't talking to anyone they were just sitting there they didn't move like you know if sets came or whatever they just held their position and then the two best waves of the Arvo and the biggest ones you know they were on both of them uh, Derek got yeah. the biggest left of the day and then Bruce got the right on mm. probably the very next wave wow. and it was just like you know when, when you're sitting out there and there's there's everyone sort of jostling and trying to find their spot when there's that full-blown apex predator in the water, you, their energy just trumps everything. Mm, like, the mm. second those guys made a move, like, I felt like as soon as Bruce's shoulder just flinched a little bit to, you know, make a move for a wave, the whole crowd just parted. You know, it was like no one was going near him. It was like things just cleared out of the way. And we don't want to get in his way. I mean, run. you're going to get a kyborg pretzel on the beach, aren't you? A human pretzel? I think, it's just, I think it's just the aura, mate. It's just, mm. it's a, it, it, those guys who uh, own it just have that aura of like, don't, don't come near me. Don't, don't get in my way. It's like, this is my wave. I've always looked at, well, not always, but I've 
come recently to look at pipeline as a commodity, and I think this is something that Eddie Rothman realized a long time ago, and I guess the black shorts in general. And why it's a commodity is because if you can get that mental one, like you can build your career off that. You know, mm. all you got to do is pack like three or four in a season of those psycho 12 to 15 foot second reef roll ins, which are, you know, kind of regulation for a, a pro surfer, um, you know, with a, a good level of ability. Mm. It's a chip shot into a huge, giant blowpipe. Oh, look what like, it's done for uh, Baron Mamiya. That guy like could have just been, you know, he could have just been a, a guy who stayed on the North Shore and, you know, went surfing when he mm. went surfing. He's like a global superstar now. Mm. Like he just, he turns up, he gets, uh, starts in all the, the trials for everything just because he packs it and he packs it consistently. And he, he got a wave this year that's just fucking unbelievable, man. Yeah, you know, nice those, those guys who free fall out of the lip, Jag it in off the bottom, just inches from getting detonated. That's just the, it's a radical what style of surfing, eh? Mm. It's incredible. And the, the Hawaiians own that space and they milk that teat. And, but then you go to Chopes and the culture's, you know, kind of uh, completely different, right? I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, what's your experience of those yeah, two I places? Mean, the, the locals are different there. I mean, uh, I've never been to Chopes in and around, like, uh, off. No, that's got no nothing to do with the the competition, like period or anything. So, um, but then, but when I was there, they were pretty cool. They just kind of, it was like, oh, we'll let you have it for two weeks, and then, you know, we won't unless it's absolutely pumping. But the two years I was there, it wasn't crazy good. So they were just kind of like, yeah, you know, we'll leave it to you guys and, and have, have it. Have you surfed heats, good heats in uh, like good big chopes or big pipe yet? Um, the First year I did pipe, it was two foot mm-hmm. and that sucked because it was pretty much just all backdoor. And then the second year it was huge and it was really north. So it was, it was that really big, it was like just a big, ugly yeah. north, like crew getting like three point totals in heats and stuff. It was just grindy and um, had a heat against Fred and got a couple. And then it was just kind of like it was, it was tens or, or no, or nothing. So, um, Fuck, you must be just got belted, stinging to get your teeth into uh, yeah. into some of those, you know, those waves. Yeah, ch- especially chopes. I feel like chopes is one of them waves. Where I'm like, fuck. I hope it's pumping. Like, I hope it's you know big and just just because it's like, I just want to have a go and you know it's the best place. It's the easiest spot to have a go because you got all the water safety. You got you know you're gonna be okay. So you're gonna you don the gaff. Well, might as well send it. Should I, fuck, should I wear a gaff? Do it. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. Wear the gaff. I own Warren and gave him good fortune. So yeah. Fuck, did it. What? Yeah. Yeah. Jeremy. Jeremy, Jeremy won did with it. Gaff. Yeah. A gaff is the secret, mate. It is. Gaff. Hey, Sally. Sally won one in Fiji with That's gaff. That's right. One. Yeah. Tom Carroll, he won yeah. three pipe masters wearing gaffs. Mm. Gath or nothing. Mm, gath or yeah. go home. Um, Swellian gaff or oh, Swellian sticker yeah. on the gaff. Yes. Oh, <laughs> hey, just talking. on Miguel Tadella, um, he puts in so much time out there, mate. So for him yeah. to jump off that lip, he knows that wave very, very well. Uh, he was on Volcom. I think he, uh, he changed sponsors, but he used to stay in uh, one of the top rooms at the uh, Volcom house when – the Vulcan Pipe Pro was on and mm. uh, during the winter. And um, so he knows what he's doing. He's got to read on the wave. If he's, if he's hitting the eject button, there's a damn good reason for it. Watch, but, the, watch the full clip on Stab Magazine too. Yeah. It's mental. He All like right. packs 10 psycho pipe pits. And how does a Peruvian get so good at pipeline? Have they got a couple of sneaky little slabs they over must. there? 
Yeah, he he has a go. He's he does all like the big wave things in Peru and and all that. And I'm pretty sure there's some crazy slabs around there. There would be. Chile's full of them. Chile, yeah. Peru's, so I mean, they're kind of neighbouring countries. I went to where he was for the ISAs when I was when I was a grom. Um, they got some pretty sick waves over there. Yeah, Is it that? Peru or Chile that has that monster monster left with like the apparently the Chile. most notorious rock off on earth? Have you heard of that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is that big left? Uh, fuck, the one Ramon and all that surf. It breaks off a rocky tip there. They were trying to build a club med there for a period not that long ago. Hey, it's that? Chile, yeah. Yeah, I think it's Chile. I what, thought what's, so. Punta de Lobos, isn't it? Yeah, right? man. Like they, they, they had a, uh, I saw somewhere, I don't know where it was, but they had a, a bit of a map, a road map to do the rock off. And you've got to like basically dive into eight foot churning whitewash channel that just has this sweeping thing just to get to the rock off. Yeah. Have you seen that? Choice? Is this is this what? also Yeah. That's wild. Is this also the same wave uh, that Nathan Fletcher I feel like goes a absolute monstro, you know, like 30, 40 footer and just disappears, gets sucked over. Mm. Maybe that very yeah, rocky spot you're talking about yeah, man. in one of those videos and uh you know they they can't find him. He pretty much looks like he's dead and then the next minute you see him uh, clambering up on the boat with a bleeding head, tremblingly smoking a ciggy. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. That I'm pretty sure yeah, that was that was What's uh, just just uh well uh, we're on the topic. What's what's your worst what's the trickiest rock off you've ever done or, or do you have a spot where you just always sort of got the the uh the pins and needles in your feet as you you're sort of yeah, making your way to the edge ner- i actually i actually get a bit nervous every time i jump off at lennox point because <laughs> that's fucking hard mm. <laughs> could end your career couldn't it could end your career i've seen some crazy falls oh just man but burly as well like mm. the rocks are so slippery and if you if you're jumping off you know at the cove or whatever and you miss time it you you can yeah. lose Paul Fisher, responsible for one of the all-time botched rock-offs at Burley. You remember that one? I think he knocked himself out cold. Wow. Yeah. And uh, Well, yeah. Fanning did it in a pro junior. He had to go to hospital. So he scary. Fully yeah. face-planted on a rock, sort of running out for a, uh, a heat. Um, yeah. I've kind of got got it figured out, but it's just all hop, skip, jump. Like the, the, You see like all the Groms do it, and they do it so well. Mm. They just go, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, I'm out. And I'm just like on all fours, nearly just like fucking rolling into the water. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I jumped off at Lennox the other day and just heard my back fin just pop straight out. Yeah. I was like, no, <laughs> no. Because, you know, it's, a, yeah. it's well, you're in the water for a start, so you got to come back over the rocks to get back in. Yeah. But and the Vui one's pretty hard as well, like, because you got to, the Voodoo one, you got to kind of, so there's two ways to, to jump off. You can jump off. Like so, like there's suck rocks next to Voodoo, and then you can jump off at the back of the cliff and then paddle around, or you can jump in the cove and then paddle around at Voodoo, like around the left mm. into the channel. But that's way longer. But when it gets really big, the back of the, the jump rock at the back, you got to like climb down a cliff face and then run across onto this shallow island of this island rock and then jump out. But when it's big. It always washes over the big island, so you got to time it, and it's so scary when it's big, oh, man. Just because you got to like, you got to time it on the top, and then when you think there's a bit of a patch, clear patch, climb down the rock face, climb all the way to the bottom with your board and your leggy on, run across, and then wait for a bit of water to just jump on. Mm. It's yeah, it's pretty scary. Has there been any deaths rocking off? Do you know of any uh, serious injuries? Oh, there must be. I mean, uh, one of the most famous rock offs. Uh, that I ever heard about was 
uh, when Kieran Perro and uh, Mark Matthews and Drew Courtney went down to Shippies for the first time and uh, they didn't really know what it was doing. It was glassy, you know, that classic track strip yeah. that sort of blew it really wide open. But uh, what people may or may not have heard was that when KP did the jump off, he mistimed it and a big wave sort of hit the bottom of his board as he, as he uh, jumped off and it smashed him in the face and almost concussed oh. him. And he was paddling out to, for that very first shippy surf with just blood pouring out of his nose and just completely mind-melted, which probably explains his performance out there because he was <laughs> fucking mindless, wasn't he? He was flying off the step. Remember that classic tracks cover? He's kind of like spread eagle. He's just flying off the step and it's like it was the session that, that blew it open. Yeah, it was absolutely mind-blowing. I was actually watching Erratica the other day, which I think, you know, remember Erratica? That's a classic mm. Kind of early noughties, late nineties surf film with the first ever footage of the bluff in it, but it's not that trip. No, it's a trip before. No, well, I mean Andy, Andy Campbell and yeah, stuff. Though, that's those guys, there was Andy a Campbell and Raster actually. I'm yeah. pretty sure. On uh, well, Raster so, and Margot went down for uh, with Ganey, and uh, that was the first time I'd heard of it. Yeah, maybe that was the trip. Mm. But yeah, just so wild, shaky cam filmed, black and white. Uh, just sheet glass and stepping monstro cones of mortal fucking coniquins get <laughs> fucked. I don't have have you had a crack, it. mate? Have you had a crack yeah. at shitty? Fuck no. Oh. no, no just Backside. Back the goofs are dead fuck. set having, having a hard time down there. I don't think I've seen many goofy footers actually tame it. Um, that, that, there's that one guy. What's his name? I think he's sponsored by Carve. What's his name? The Goofy Footer? There's a guy down yeah, there called Seb Danny Critchlow Griffiths. Or Danny, Danny, Danny Griffiths. Griffiths. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So and, I swear I've only uh, seen him. Actually, uh, worth mentioning... Uh, Laura Enova's films come out, Undone. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm not going back. If you haven't yeah. seen it yet, get on iTunes, buy it, sink your teeth into it. It is fucking unbelievable. That's it. And uh, yeah, Danny, he was, I'm pretty sure he was the guy coaching Laura into uh, her her efforts the second time she went because uh, everyone saw the first her first crack at it mm. she just got minced well, so badly why is it so hard backside out there you reckon I just think because you can't see it as well you can't read the wave as well on because you got your back turned to it and you're facing straighter while on your front side you can kind of you see the whole perspective of the wave a bit better while yeah and I just think just trying to deal with the steps and then, like, even bottom turning backside, it's so much, you're so much more susceptible to dig a rail because you kind of, you, yeah, because you, you're not facing that way. You're not facing the, the wave. So it's just way harder to mm. read it. And especially, yeah, those steps would just be so hard to read. Yeah, because you bottom turning, you almost have to do a tiny little snap under the lip to set your line. Yeah, because, I mean, on your, the, on your forehand, you're kind of facing the way, like, you're facing the channel, like, and so when you're hitting the steps, you, it's like you're going front on, but backside, you're kind of facing the other way. So I feel like if you're going over the steps, you'd nearly be going, you, your board would nearly be wanting to go straight. Mm. And then you'd have to kind of like keep redirecting yourself to like get towards the channel. Oh, it sounds sick and hard. How gross does it sound? I've just seen, just watching a bit of Danny Griffiths' ones, like every mm. time he goes over a step, it's like he goes straight and then has to redirect. And then yeah. goes over and then goes straight. While the guys on the front side, they just kind of hop over it and they still set their line easier. Yeah, because yeah, your toes are kind of, like, even having just that little bit of movement on your toe, you've got no movement on your heel, right? So you're like even if the board sort of starts to flip out from under you, you can kind of grab it. Yeah. But it's uh yeah, it's it's a tricky one on the backhand, mate. That's heavy. I've, we've got an 
amazing story about Glyndon Ringrose going down to surf it with uh, Kobe Abaddon years and years ago, which I won't <laughs> blow now, but uh, yeah, we'll get that out. That's uh, from the ATS live apps. We've still got a few to drop too, yeah, Stevie. we do, we do. San Remo and uh, Sunny Coast and... Uh, Oladulla. Torquay. Torquay. Yeah, they're coming, folks. If you were at the shows, they're coming. And just a quick shout-out to the Shippies Goat, Marty the Moose Paradisus, everyone's favourite Greek Australian. <laughs> On your Marty, Mad Swillian. Yeah. Up the Moose. I'm across brothers. <laughs> yeah, those guys are mad. Mikey Brennan. Those guys are fucking mad. Legends. It's under or over. Over and under brought to you by Birdwell Bridges Vaughan. American made, American manufactured, uh, yeah, Ridgie Didge, old school surf label based out of Southern California there. And uh, I trip out on this, man. I trip out that they've managed to weather the storm and keep their integrity intact. Mm. Homemade, you know, small kind of company putting stuff out. Uh, big respect to that. Yeah, it uh, almost the, uh, seems impossible to be able to run a business like that. We're looking into, you know, getting our merch made and it's like trying to get it made in Australia. Is just, it's, impo- it's not economically viable, which mm. is so sad. That we have to uh, well, the good thing is, outsource is it to the third world. We, we are outsourcing to uh, you know ethically sound uh, factory that actually looks after its work. Of course, yeah, we're not going to go bottom in the barrel. We'd never do that. But um, no, the britches are good, mate, and uh, the commitment to quality. You know, like being able to take your boardies in if you if you get a a, a D thread or a hole in them, and they'll, they'll just fix them up for you. They they want their boardies to last forever. Sick, and their clothes on your bird well up the britches. Bridges get stitches. Uh, All right, before we get into the global rebellion and how it's crossed over into surfing, step-offs, filthy plague, or golden water angels with an exhaust pipe? (laughs) Uh, I mean, they are very common in this neck of the woods up on the north coast in particular, and you can see why, you know, rogue beach breaks, you know, in that 10-foot range, it's a mission on your under paddle power. But I'll never forget what a Japanese guy told me, actually. I went to a surf film festival once in San Sebastian there, sponsored by Patagonia, and there was this old Japanese guru. And uh, he said, he made the point that, you know, back in the day, coming up uh, as a surfer, you know, with you kind of single, just when leg ropes were first on the scene, he just said that there was just no greater thrill in sitting out in big ocean on a big board and you get one, you know, you maybe get one or two or three, but they are some of the most memorable rides of your life. And uh, he was just kind of rinsing jet skis and that whole culture of uh, whipping in um, and stepping off, I guess, in waves that are, you know, of that paddleable kind of nature and just saying like, you know, you're essentially acting like junkies, you know, mm. like, do you remember any of those waves? Like, are they memorable? Because that's kind of what, all that matters. Otherwise, you, you're not much better than a common drug addict just filling your adrenal glands with adrenaline. Mm. Yeah, look. That I've, was his argument. I've never done it. I've never stepped off a ski. Not once. I've never wow. been pulled into a wave on a ski. I've Clearly, I have uh, had an attempt at foiling. <laughs> and I have got arseless chaps. Thanks for asking, everyone. Yep. that's uh, Next time I give that a crack, I'll be sporting the... The butt cheeks will be getting the nice pink tan. Give it a crack. But, uh, Show I've you never crack. done it. I've never done it. So I'm going to throw this one to you, Connor. Like, what's what's the deal, mate? I mean, you're a guy who loves getting under the lip. Uh, this basically takes that completely out of the picture. You you just setting yourself up for a nice, easy funnel. But is there satisfaction in that? Like Smithy said, is there sort of a 
Is the payoff as, as good when you're getting a big cone off the back of a, you know, yeah. an assisted whipping? Maybe not as satisfying because I feel like most of the satisfying bales you get are the ones that you're like, holy shit, I was fucking down this thing and I took the drop and I nearly got the lip to the head and I just scraped under it and then I'm, you know, threading through it and I come out and I feel like maybe the step-offs don't give you that same satisfaction. But then again, it's just like, fuck, if it's got a, if there's a crazy rip or, um, you know, you just want to get a bunch of waves and and without having to kind of deal with everything and it's um there's definitely reasoning for it. But, yeah, it's definitely not as satisfying. No mm. way. It's interesting just having the opportunity to stand calmly in an eight-foot orb and just take that view in. It's something that you just don't really get the opportunity to do as an intermediate surfer uh, paddling. Like, you know, you, you fuck once in your lifetime. But you, even then, if I, you know, if you pack a big one, like you're basically scratching at the walls to, you know, get it to let you out of it. You're not really calmly just in I, there I looking around. Because right, no, that's the dream, right? No, that, I think you're at... Bang on, man. The attraction is being able to actually just not have to think about all of that tense stuff that you were talking mm. about, Connor, and just just standing there and actually fully appreciate what's happening in that moment because it gives you time, right? Like, that's the big yeah. advantage. Um, second to that, uh, I mean, I'm not adverse to giving it a crack if someone wants to whip me in. Second that. <laughs> yeah. I reckon stepping off's better than getting whipped in. Yeah, I'd I don't feel like be really there's, there was that. a bunch of fucking idiots trying to step off the other weekend, and I mean, no, whip in the other weekend. Mm. And it's just like, why are you doing this? It's like, it's not that big. It's not like it's unpaddleable. So just fucking jump off the ski. Yeah. Just don't fucking whip in and look like an idiot. Well, definitely not where there's other surfers, right? If, if you yeah. want to do it on like a, a ten mile stretch of beach. Where there's no one else around and, and you just want to do it for a bit of fun, then I don't see the harm in that. No, but that's the problem. We've opened a Pandora's box and human beings, as they've shown many a time, are not the best at self-regulating, are they, Vaughn? Uh, Definitely not, Smithy. I'm gonna give it an I'm gonna give it an under, because I've never done it. And uh, I just think, you know, I was brought up at a time where if if I was out in the water with Alfie, my old man, and a jet ski even Fucking, if he even heard one start up somewhere, he would just light up. He'd just be like, fuck, fuck, <laughs> smelly petrol, bastard, fucking <laughs> yeah. He'd just lose his mind, mate. All the wake and shit too. Oh, oh he just yeah. made, the he, wake's the worst. That is the worst. Yeah. I was about to bring that up. That's my pet hate in yeah. surfing. Getting Because, you know, it doesn't matter if you, they can be 50 metres, 100 yeah. metres out to sea. And that wake, it just travels and ruins Entire sets, and it's just a brutal thing to endure. It's good if you had, if you were in and amongst it, not, not doing the stepping, but they were like picking you up. If it was like hard to paddle back out, they'd just be like, "Yeah, jump on," and you're like, "Yeah, fuck, it's this is sick." But it definitely, you definitely take getting tube for granted when you're stepping off, just because it's like you said, it's so easy. You you're into the wave before it even breaks, and then you're like, "Okay, I'm getting barreled. I'm out. Back on the ski, chasing another one." You kind of. I definitely feel like you you take it a bit for granted by the end of it because mm. it's such a hard thing to do when if you're doing it so much, you're just like, eh, it's it's okay. Mm. While if you're paddling and you get that one, it's like you it's said, smelling smitty, like an under. Smelling like an under is coming over here. Yeah, Ooh. I reckon, yeah. An under from a world tour competitor. That's, that's a, a big, big under. under. Big yeah, under. I reckon. Under. 
I'm going to have to go with the consensus. I mean, I just think that it doesn't really gel with what surfing's about, unfortunately. Mm. Like, and I've got heaps of mates that do it. So, you know, and I love those guys and, you know, they're fucking call-lord cone-fiend degenerate hell man, a lot of them. Mm. But, yeah, just all the pumping the diesel into the atmosphere, um, waking up the lineup for other surfers. And on top of that, like, back to what the, the Japanese fellow was saying, like, I, I tend to agree. Like, you know, yeah, sure, it might be rippy and hard to jag at a big peak, but get your fucking 7.6 or your 8.0 out and do it like a real fucking man. Yeah. And it's more the stories of, like, fuck, I was paddling for 10 minutes and then I packed the clothes out and then I fucking got a 10-footer on the head and then then I got a good one. That Then it's, like, more satisfying. That's then. iconic. That is yeah. iconic. You know, like, the stories of Wayne Dean sitting in that – on that kind of outer sand spit there beyond D-bar getting 10-foot orbs on like big, long rhino chaser boards. That's what surfing is about. No one remembers the guy, you know, stepping off into an eight-footer unless his name is Sheldon Simkus. Yeah. <laughs> there's, definitely, there's definitely like a, a place for it and I respect like that part of it. But I'd, I'd rather paddle into a wave than... I'm giving it under now, but I've got a feeling if someone whips me into a good one, I'll be giving it a yeah. huge fucking over. It'll oh, be no. so over, mate. It'll what? be over the roof of the house. I'd throw my grandma in front of a bus <laughs> just to get inside of an eight-foot orb and get blown out of it. But then now we're saying it, I'm probably going to buy a ski in like, you know, the next six months or so just to have one up here. It's so fucking... I feel like it's so necessary to have one up here. Just so you can. Well, everyone's doing it, Connor. Yeah. So yeah, you just you can just do it. Just even if it's like small and you're in the middle of beaches when there's no one around, you're just stepping off because it's it's fun. Like then then I feel like it's kind of cool. But it, there's definitely no more satisfaction than piling it into a sick one and getting tubed. And what about Superintendent Gary Conehead? Where's he in all this? I thought there was new legislation forbidding step-offs in jet skis, you know, around surfers and swimmers. Where are you, Conehead? Are you over there in the States beating peaceful protesters, you pig? Get back here in police lineups. It's so true because so many fucking people do it these days. Fuck yeah, it. That, that, that was a big issue well. for a while there. I guess yeah. what's happened here? Because the RBTs have shut down. Maybe has everyone just gone quiet yet? Has everyone just packed up in Australia? Well, we'll see. Uh, I'm going to have to, yeah, all right. So it's a, a round of under. Under. Moving along, moving along. Um, all right, so the Global Rebellion Board. Uh, the world lurches from disaster to disaster. COVID straight into the brutal murder of George Floyd at the hands of some filthy fucking septic pigs. Have a look at yourself, you grubs. Have a good look at yourself. Uh, yeah, 400 years of racism, colonialism and oppression of the poor in all their various forms, colours and creeds. It's on for young and old, Vaughan. And I, for one, uh, welcome it. Not the looting and violence, but this is a protest that had to happen. And I'm fucking full of praise for the Americans on the streets over there. I'll be turning out in solidarity tomorrow in Byron Bay, Saturday the 6th of June, which is Australia's day of action against black deaths in custody, not just in America, but here where Aboriginals are over-policed to fuck and ludicrously, as a result, overrepresented in the prison system. Here's what a black surfer had to say about the riots. This is Ryan Harris, an LA local, in an epic interview by Mick Cimarella from Stab Magazine. I'm not going to go on social media and a rant and talk about it because people know me and they know exactly how I feel about it. They know that I've been pulled over a million fucking times with surfboards in my truck because I don't look like I should have surfboards in my truck. I've been pulled over a lot since I've been in LA 
pulled over a lot when I was in Oregon and lived up there. I have all kinds of previous stories that most people don't have to deal with. And that, that sucks. So yeah, it basically just fucking blows. And then the looting on top of it all, it's just like, dude, really? Come on, people, there's a better way. Mike asks, what would you recommend? The golden rule, man. Treat people treat people the way you want to be treated. It's, uh, it's that simple. It's really that simple. Also, don't be mean to cops, or at least all cops. My sister's a cop. My brother's a cop. And showing compassion can go a long way. And yeah, shout out to the good cops out there. Art um, Ayurveda, I think his name is, from the Houston Police Force, a Mexican police chief, fucking king, legend. Mm. Uh, so there is some good ones in the mix. Have you had mostly positive experiences with the police? Uh, ha! I wouldn't say that. I've never been beaten or anything, but here's a story. My really good buddy, a white guy, got me into glassing a long time ago. His dad was the chief of police, and I was driving a new truck that I just bought, a chromed-out F-150, to my bartending job. So I'm driving to work one evening, and my music is blasting. I've got my bartending outfit on, my name tag, and it's literally a 10-minute drive. I've gone six blocks from my place, and something just told me to look up from my rear view. Of course, there's a cop behind me with his lights on. He's all, hey, pull over the car. You pull it over. Pull it over. Pull it over, you black motherfucker. Pull it over. And I got instantly nervous. Started more or less freaking out. I was like, fuck, I'm in trouble. I didn't even do anything. And dude, this jackass pulled me over and fucking cocked his shotgun and pointed it right through my window at my face. And I was like, dude, 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 dude. I'm on my way to work. I know what I did. No, I don't know what I did, sorry. I'll turn the music down. I'm sorry, I'm on my way to work. He's all license and registration. I was like, okay, I'm reaching for my license and registration. I'm also praying for my life. Like, please don't do anything crazy. So I gave him my info and he went back to his car. I guess they didn't pull up any warrants because he came back without the gun. And basically, before he could even say, you're free to go, go, I was like, "Um, can I ask what this is regarding? At this point, he's not yelling anymore. He's like, oh, you fit the description of a a robbery. And I was like, what was it? A a black guy in a truck with a hat. And he's like, uh, uh. He didn't say anything. I'm like, yeah, I'm on my way to work. I bartend at CPKs. It's literally a mile from here. You just saw, based on my license, where I freaking live. I'm in my residential neighborhood. What do you mean I fit the description? What's that description? He wouldn't say shit. I was like, dude, I need your badge number. And then he started sweating and I literally got so fucking angry that I was more or less yelling at him because he finally realized that he was just being a fucking idiot. That was like 13 years ago. Shit like this happens all the time. Just going for a sur- oh, going to work, sorry. Getting a fucking shotgun pointed in your face. And at that point, like what as a black guy, what do you do? Like you, you can't even move your hands. No, nah, no, nah, you're in a, because you're in you a might no get your head situation blown off. the fucking moment the lights go on for the for the police car. There's there's no escaping it. And this is you know, like the tragedy of what's been happening over there, all it's done is well fuck, it's done lots of stuff. It's fucking truly one of the most horrific thing that's ever happened. You know, and, and it happens all the time, Smithy. This one just happened to be caught on film. But I think like the, the light that it's shining on fucking real problems, like really deep, systemic, fucking, you know, not just uh, with, in regards to law enforcement. Um, it's, it's the cultural sort of blasé ignorance of all people that things are getting better and everything's all right. I mean, and this is a guy, Ryan Harris, who's, you know, working class, middle class, black guy living in a part of the world that's not 
overly dangerous. You know, we're talking about Southern California, LA, like, you know, near the beaches there. He's a, I'm pretty sure he runs a pretty prosperous surf business um, these days. And so, you know, it's not like the cops are particularly under threat. The stress level shouldn't be that high. Um, and, you know, just one incident like that, getting, mm. a, getting a gun shoved in your face, um, shit like that. One incident with a, a cop in which, you know, say if you're protesting right now and you get brutalized um, as they're doing to peaceful protesters, what a fucking disgrace. Mm. Um, you know, that's enough to give you a lifetime of PTSD. And PTSD is fucking gnarly. Like, I got it myself. And it's like, you know, whenever you get triggered, you pay for two to three days afterwards. Mm. It's pure pain, like cortisol all through your bloodstream, anxiety, depression. And, you know, the black communities in the States are dealing with that on absolutely radioactive levels. Like the PTSD in those communities from the stress of poverty, the dysfunction, the, uh, you know, family members going to jail, um, you know, the over-policing of these communities, that's that's the bad one. And we have it here in Australia too. We're we're no better. It's just all on a smaller scale because the scale of the Aboriginal population is – much smaller but it's just like this endless cycle of trauma and it just i don't know how they survive it man i guess they survive it through you know music and dance and uh you know just the incredible cultural contributions that's come out of the black community all in response you know pretty much all in response to the level of racism they have to endure they somehow have the resilience Mm. to keep surviving like if I can't even fathom what it would be like, you know, to to live in one of these communities, mm. Southside Chicago, um, you know, Atlanta, fucking Houston, uh, Minneapolis. Like, man, it's a fucking yeah. nightmare. And then, but I mean, closer to home, uh, you know, like the light that this is shining on our own attitudes towards racism in Australia, it's fucking gnarly, mate. Like, I think that you know, you can easily. Like I said, walk around in this country feeling like, oh no, we're going all right. You know, things are things are cool. But it's, it's just because it's all it's, hidden away. Yeah, you know, they, they put the Aboriginals in housing commissions, and then on, on and our on, media doesn't report on any of the real shit that's going on. And nah. fucking, it's just like the media's a farce. And it's interesting too through this whole rebellion. You know, I've just been watching it unfold on Instagram, and mate, it is harrowing. This is like, this is a once in history event unfolding and it's all going down on your phone and you can just tap into the absolute wildest up to the second, up to the minute breakdowns and footage of these just violent put downs of peaceful protests. Um, You know, there's all these uh, accusations of looting and rioting and stuff. No one knows who's doing that. Mm. They don't know, you know, you've you got to think that the CIA have got people out there instigating this shit. Of course they do. They do what they have to do to preserve the American state and capitalism and all that shit. You've got, you know, no one really knows, but it's just this absolute mess, just the most horrendous mess. It's, mm. And it's getting worse and worse by the day. Like every day I tune in on the gram and I see something that just shocks me even more. Yeah. It's fucked up, man. And it's, you know, we were very quick to donate money to the cause and we you know suggest that if you want to help you should do that but mate it just sickens me to the stomach and you know I'd love to we might even give Tommy Carroll a buzz and, and see what he's got to say about uh, the prospect of boycotting America because uh, we know that that's the stand that you know pr- the professional surfing elite took in na- 1985 Tommy Carroll Shane Horan Tom Curran Martin Potter these guys made a mega sacrifice 
to break the back of apartheid. <clears throat> Pretty sure Tommy cost himself a world title. Um, you know, they were scolded at the time by Sean Thompson and the, the governing body of surfing. But, you know, history is on their side in the mm. end. Tommy Carroll got one of the great commendments from the, the greatest Australian prime minister uh, that we've had, Bob Hawke. Said he was one of the most upstanding Australian and sports thanks, people. Thanks by Nelson Mandela. As well. Incredible. Yeah. Who spent 21 fucking years in a limestone quarry, dude, mm. hacking at rocks. Fuck. It's yep. fucked up, mate. South Africa in the 80s, uh, your decision to boycott the tour and the surf events there. What I wanted to know, mate, was like, when did you start to feel like you were going to make a stand against what was going on in South, a- South Africa? Do you remember? Well, at the time, um, it was being really highlighted, you know, that any sports people <clears throat> being seen to compete or even go over there to compete or take part in any sort of international competition um, um, in South Africa was seen to support the system, to support that system. And uh, my experience of going there, I just, you know, you know, being a young you know, it's funny coming out of being a freckly young kid, you know, very privileged, really, living on the northern beaches of Sydney, all of a sudden, uh, you know, sort of this stuff come up. But it just didn't fit with me, uh, sit with me very well at all, being a two-times world champion of surfing and uh, and being seen as someone who supported it. I just couldn't. I always felt sad when I went there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what or how people they actually view each other in such a way. Um, I I never understood at my core how a person, even the fact that we call each other black and white, is odd to me. Mm. So. Uh, so it, that started as a youngster. It started, I don't know when or where, but it just was deeply, deeply within me. It was never lost probably <laughs> when I grew up, <laughs> you know, because I don't think as a kid yet or a child, you never really sort of, you know, see things this way mm-hmm. um, as a, as someone who is, who's uh, racist, you know, but, or have the fear that someone looking so different is going to be so, you know, all looked on upon as just from a fear point of view. But, um, yeah, no, that that time I I was I just didn't want to be – I wanted to actually use my position, actually, just to say this is um, – I want to make a, a humanitarian stand here. Mm. It, wasn't, it wasn't directed in a – Particularly, you know, I wasn't going towards. Pol- I mean, we are embroiled in politics, no matter what we do. It doesn't matter where, which way you go, you get caught and tangled. Uh, and and as you sort of move through the collective um, consciousness of, of, of what's going on at the present time, uh, you can get tagged as it being a political stand. But for me, it was purely coming from a humanitarian standpoint. At the time, going well, I don't, I don't, I want to be seen as someone who did not support this. So, uh, I, yeah, I made made a public statement down at Bells, you know, as, as I got my second world title. 
And I think um, at the time, I, I really didn't realise how much it was going to affect me. Uh, I thought, oh, yeah, you know, kind of a little bit like dropping down. <laughs> my brother sort of ex- kind of explains my character pretty well in, in, um, in, in a book we did together uh, and, um, recently. And, um, and that is, you know, I could tend to sort of, you know, go for the drop. You know, just, yeah, just take the drop and see what happens. Mm. You know, <laughs> that's been, that kind of defines me a bit. And, um, in my character that at that time I thought, look, I, I, I came from a very pure place in me. I just went for it. And I really didn't have, uh, the, the, the vocabulary in me to deal with what was going to come towards me mm. after. And so that was something, you know, if anyone's going to make a decision, um, like that, everyone's thinking about this kind of thing in their life. Um, you know, do some research and see how how we can really truly be even more effective. Mm. Uh, but I couldn't be more effective in making that decision at the time, making the stand. Um, and perhaps it was best that I didn't think about it too, another way, mm. uh, or think too much about it. You know, but um, and making the stand was very clear. What was the, the, the aftermath? was really uh, tricky for me to deal with. That's what I was going to ask. Is, the, is is your memories of the um, you know the the weeks or even the months leading after that? Not even from a professional sense, but just from a personal sense. What was the blowback like? What were the, uh, you know, how, how, how did it affect you? Well, um, oh, look, uh, I had a profound, deep sadness for our own country um, that hit me. And, uh, and I didn't really want to recognise that, uh, you know, because I just, it was just like I could feel the denial. So it was a really powerful moment for me in that regard. I really feel it within our country. Uh, once I'd made that decision, I, I, it's hard for me to explain the feeling. Mm. But you know, you're feeling something out. It's like that's it was a very heavy feeling. I have felt some a lot of weight come on me, and um, and I thought, man, we we got so you know, it all came clear what was going on here and. And um, it was very tricky. Um, I didn't really want to stand in an activist role. It wasn't – I just didn't feel like I could – had the capacity to stand up in an activist role at the time. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to keep it as simple as possible. Mm. But uh, that that said, that's – that's what's going to come with the territory when we stand. And then, of course, I had a lot of stuff come at me in that regard. Can you talk about who was backing you? Because obviously Bob Hawke was incredibly, uh, you know, vocal about backing you on that position <clears throat> and uh, you two became firm friends on the back of that. Um, yeah. What about through surfing as well, mate? Did other surfers join your boycott? Yeah, they, they, there's a few other surfers that came, you know, came along with it. I mean, Martin Potter, um, there was um, Shane Horan, there was, you know, Tom Curran, he didn't go. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and they were all very silent about it. Um, they, they kept it really low-key, which is fine. You know, they did their, their thing. But that's – and that was, that was, that was nice that there was support there, no matter what. Um 
but nevertheless, you know, um, you know, there was some blowback from the ASP. They didn't know what to think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but the the cool, you know, the good thing was, you know, I wasn't a great communicator back then. To be honest, I needed to do a lot more communication before I made that move. Yeah, uh, I look back on it, I would have been a lot better. I was just just you know, twenty four year old. You just, you just felt like you had to do what was right, though. You had a, like you said. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And uh, and so I didn't, you know, didn't let my sponsors know. I just, you know, know actually <laughs> instinct who were, uh, you know, a, a South African company. But they were based in California, but they mm. basically, you know, it was Sean Thompson and who was a, it was a, you know, a good friend, uh, a, a hero of mine, a person who I, you know, looked up to a lot regarding his surfing particularly and and the way he carried himself. Um, and I, and you know, and, and I really, you know, I wanted to emulate his surfing particularly. I really loved his power style and, uh, you know, sort of him and Simon Ans were really big, big images for me at that time. And I, I um, in my surfing and, and he was also supporting me. But that ended immediately because of uh, what I didn't. I didn't actually get to talk to him, uh, which was a real, you know, like that was the thing I look back to and I sort of regret that. But I've had, you know, of course, been able to rectify that but to some degree. But it's um, – and uh, but he's supportive, you know, nevertheless. Mm. And, uh, that's really – you know, going on from that, um, there was yeah. Bob Hawke was amazing. He he came and helped me out and and came to my side and knew that I had some. You know, he also saw some points to score for himself in this one. Being young, uh, you know, w- well known athlete at the time. You know, the, you know, representing the youth of Australia. And someone, so people that he really loved, I think, you know, as a sports person, mm. he did, and you know, he he wanted to, you know, he he did his homework, work like he was, he did his homework and everything. <laughs> he was, but he was really, really generous in in coming to my side and and, and helping me out at the time and supporting me. Mm. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget that. Um, that uh, you know, being uh, asked to come down and sit. With him and talk to him about my uh, why I made the decision, da 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 da, 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 da. and he's great support. And later down the track, we got to he he introduced me to Nelson Mandela, and we had a, a kind of a pretty nice three way chat. It was pretty cool. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, that, that's so, amazing. Um, it all it all yeah, it, um, it all panned out. Does your own journey uh come into how you look back on that time at all is it like because you know boycotting uh major events in uh south africa in a professional sense has a huge effect on points ratings all that sort of stuff well you know how do you look look back on that stance now um yeah no i think wow what a what a brave kid (laughs) you know like really like not really you know just through sheer just um, you know, putting I guess principles first, uh, and and going forward like that. I mean, I just oh, I look back and I go, wow. And I think about how you know that was a really brave move, and just go, okay, someone who was super competitive and wanted to, which is you know 
I, I look back at myself and go, wow, he really gave it. Um, he just sort of went for it with, you know, just taking a chunk of the tour out and just go, I'm just going to do this anyway. Mm. Uh, and there's, uh, yeah, I look back at the 24, 24-year-old me and go, oh, you know, hats off to you, buddy. You <laughs> just Yeah, it's, it's, I, it's I just, pretty cool. do you think so, that surfers are capable of that today and should they should they be more engaged in issues? I mean, you know, looking at what's happening now, can we use uh, can can guys use their profile, and should they use their profile to help create meaningful change? I mean, especially uh, in regards to things like racism and and just these fucking antiquated, awful, fucking stupid frames of mind that can be changed with education. Like, where do you sit on that? Uh, I think it's it's important for that they do. I think uh, it's important just to maybe take a bit of a, um, you know, it doesn't end your career when you do this sort of thing. Like, it, don't, don't be fearful. This is like if you believe in something, go for it. It's like uh, you've already believed in your surfing and you've got yourself to this part. You know, there's other things I know that we are bigger than our surfing. We're not just our surfing. <laughs> mm. We are not, well, and that that's, I really must admit I'm just talking about myself there, but uh, it, I see that's true for many. You know, many. It doesn't matter whether you're a surfer or not, or an athlete, or, or a performer, or a CEO of a company, blah, 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 whatever you are. You, you you're multifaceted, and you have you, you know, there's we're human at the core of that, and being there. Um, there's beliefs inside there. There's feelings, and if you see something that you're that doesn't wash with you, um, particularly in times like today, you know, and you have a profile um, that you can actually be, you know, and I'll, I'll step away from this idea of being an influencer because that's got a tricky connotation today. Mm. But I'd say someone who uh, has got a chance to, you know, to, to um, help people come around on their beliefs um, in, a, in a time when, you know, we're, we're super challenged and we want to sort of sort of shrink back. Kind of if there's a chance that you can come forward and step into what you feel is the, is the right way to change, you know, step into the change and, and be a part of that change yeah don't don't shrink back come forward and i think uh, it's a really good time in your life when you're young you can do this sort of stuff you can build this change that that we're all wanting to see it's um it's a it's quite a strong collective at the moment wanting to see change this sort of change you know um the one that we really want is to be able to see each other as equals um, I'm assuming that's what we want to see <laughs> right now. It seems it seems inevitable we need to be in that position. But and I know that everyone's got their own biases. So the tricky thing is to is to um, is to be extremely patient, but also be strong in what you um, what you believe. I think those two things: patience and being strong. Is is key because this sort of change has been coming for such a long time. It's 
this is this is uh, you know, but it wasn't so long ago that we had segregation. Mm. It wasn't very long ago. We're very fresh, um, and and the, you know the fact is, you know, we've got this really conscious young um, generation. They're becoming much more conscious. Um, you know, they're they're much broader. They can they can think for themselves. They're very they're very very broad in thinking. Uh, but don't be very careful about um, you know uh, you know going one sided on this. Mm. You know, see that there are many sides. But really, that we're all one. So the the there's you know there's seven billion sides. So three, so uh, seven billion sides today. So so eight billion almost, isn't it? So you got to be um, both. You know, um, just be really you know try to be kind to the person who's who's kind of suffering. I guess mm. definitely in this time. There's a um, super challenged time, I'd imagine, um, coming forward in regard to um, race relations. Well, I also wanted to, um, you know, a, a few years ago, maybe a, uh, nearly a decade ago now, uh, Otis Carey was at the centre of a, a racial slur that was printed in a surf mag. He took that mag to court. Um, but the fallout from it, mate, really exposed just how fucked up people's attitudes are in this country when, 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 I guess when an issue comes to light that they don't feel comfortable with, they're just so happy to just revert to the most base, like rancid, fucking disgusting language, thinking that it's it's totally acceptable. Fucking oath. And big shout out to Chico. Uh, ain't that Swell's chief of security? <laughs> Chico. One of the maddest, most frothingest Swellians and waxheads going around. Uh, yeah, big black man who... You know, he deals with a lot of police discrimination and ridiculous shit, mate. He's a very eloquent, well-spoken, working-class guy who puts up with just fucking absolute dross from the police establishment. Like, just bizarre, you know. just He's got nothing to answer to. He's just a fucking dude going about his business. Doesn't even toke, mate. Just a fucking couple of mid-strengths. Loves his surfing. Um, getting fucking heckled by police for no good reason. Have a good hard fucking look at yourself. Odie, it's been an intense couple of weeks and uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the goings-on here and in America and just how you're feeling about it all, mate. It's, I've, a lot of people have reached out and asked how I'm going and how my family is. And, I, and I'm like, well, to be honest, it's just the same feeling as every other day. You know, like Indigenous people, people of colour experience systematic racism every day, so... It's all, that that feeling's always there. So a lot of people sort of fail to see that um, we're constantly feeling shit from the effects of systematic racism. But um, I think I think it's it's been you know it's been a really good eye opener for non-indigenous people. I think a lot of people are actually starting to listen now and not sort of argue what they think and how they think we should react and feel to situations like um, police brutality and privileged situations. Um, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of non-Indigenous people are pretty bloody privileged and to be able to tell an Indigenous person how to feel or, oh, you shouldn't, they shouldn't be doing this, 
they shouldn't react in like that. It's a pretty privileged position to come from. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the murder of George Floyd is just one of history's most despicable acts uh, and obviously created international outrage. But the sad truth is is that this stuff is happening every single day and it's just that his murder happened to be filmed. Well, Vaughan, how's this? Yesterday, two days ago, uh, I think the 43-year-old man died in police custody in WA. So it's like, fuck, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, that's fucking bullshit, isn't it? There's not even a mention of it anywhere in the press. And I mean, well, the spotlight now is well and truly being turned back on us. Because of what's happening in America, it's forcing us to examine our own failures for the First Nation people of this country, particularly in regards to the over-policing, over-representation of Aboriginal people in jails and, and then deaths in custody. I mean, it's a huge fucking issue here. Yeah, it's massive. Well, if you look at the... Uh, we're like, what, 3.3% of population. We make up like, you know, over half the half the um, population in jails and fuck, how does that work? Yeah. I don't know the exact statistics for the jail the jail population, but I know it's very, very high for the population count here. Yeah. Scary. Have you ever felt fearful of the police in Australia? Uh, I'm so sorry, man. I've seen all sorts of shit. Like growing up in the big Indigenous family, always constantly being surrounded by Indigenous people at sporting events. You just, you see all sorts of shit, man. Mm. But I've never been scared of the police. Um, our parents have always taught us how to speak to the police if we're ever being harassed by them or questioned by them. So it's never been, they've never incited fear. I feel like we've been pretty lucky. But I have seen some fucked up shit. Last time we spoke, we talked about how we were going as a nation in our attitude towards racism. Because I think we can be extremely ignorant. And in fact, I think that we choose to be ignorant when it comes to what's really going on here. I mean, are we really becoming more aware and heading in the right direction or are we just telling ourselves that? I think there is a lot of awareness and it is growing. But at the same time, the arrogance that I've seen online and from people's word of mouth is also growing. It's, and it's like, I'm hopeful that things will turn for the better, but and arrogance is just so embedded here in Australia. It's, it's like, it's, yeah, oh, it's frustrating. Mm. How can people educate themselves, though? Have you got places that you steer people towards if they're interested in making a genuine effort to help create change and eradicate racism? Um. I've been giving people, uh, there's, a, there's like, there's a couple of documentaries that are really good eye-openers. Um, talks about all, everything we're sort of discussing at the moment. It sort of covers a wide range of systematic problems and um, what's, there's one, I'll have to send you, you should, we should add it into the, um, the interview, all the different documentaries and stuff, because it'd be a really good way of um, putting a bit of information in front of people. Mm, for sure, it's man. Really good. I, even I, even I learn a couple of things, man. It's really good. Yeah, we'll but, do that for sure. For sure, no dramas. We'll send them to you. Okay, that'd be great. And just, it's a good eye opener for people too. 
how in this, there's a couple of documentaries there, like Connection to Country and how they, how it gives people look after country and uh, why and how what people give get back from that. Mm-hmm. You, you physically see, like, there's one called Put a Party on the Rainmakers. Um, they literally make it rain in one of the driest places in the world and you can, you watch, you watch it happen. Wow, man. It's really powerful. I cry every time I, every time I watch it, I cry. Yeah. Because I know, I, like I know that, I know that feeling. So it's really, it's really beautiful to witness in flight first hand. Yeah. Because not many, a lot of that sort of ceremony is not captured for people to witness. Mm. For sure. For sure. Yeah, well, I reckon that would be incredible to share that. That would be so good. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that one's free to, free to watch too online. Okay. I'll get the link off here and we'll, um, yeah, we'll make sure. Yeah, all the links. That would be great. A few years ago, you were involved in a lawsuit against the surf mag that printed a racial slur against you. And when the story went public in a major newspaper, I mean, you suffered like targeted abuse online and in public from the worst kind of morons. Uh, in the wash-up of that, like, is that still having an effect on you now? Uh, no, no, but it does, you know, when I see uh, racial tension and uh, police brutality against Indigenous black people, it it triggers all those emotions. Mm. Like it comes back up, and it's the same for other Indigenous people. When we see people of colour being killed, or being harassed or whatever, you, you instantly just feel those traumas from your past experiences. It's it's not a good feeling, but it's something that um, I, I definitely constantly work on it. I know I'm I'm forever um, building my my walls, and sometimes those walls have got to tear down, you know. Mm. But um, I've got a good support network around me. Um, but for some, but for others that don't have that, and it's, I don't know, man, it's, it's hard for me to sort of put into words. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you and your family have always made a huge effort uh, to fight divisiveness through love and understanding and education, obviously. Yeah, I just think empathy and people have to hold on to their voice. Non-Indigenous people have to hold on to their voice and just sit and listen and learn instead of trying to argue. You know what I mean? Like, so many people just want to argue with Indigenous people instead of just listening and understanding. There's a word for it. It's called um, when somebody's, like, so caught up on what they believe is true and what should be true, when it's not. There's, like, a specific word for it. I can't remember it off the top of my head at the moment. Well, it's called being a fucking can't really. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a point in time, Odie, from which we can create meaningful and lasting change, do you think? 100%, man. Like, I, I've seen um, seen a lot of change in a lot of people. I've seen a lot of more people be involved. I've had so many people reach out and people I know, people I don't know, reach out who want to better educate themselves, who want to just sit and listen and learn and support where they can. A lot of I, I noticed a lot of people are supporting Indigenous-owned companies now, which is great. Um, oh, there's definitely 
huge leaps forward from all this. But um, I just think it's going to take a lot longer than we want it to. I think it's going to take at least another 30 years. But, like, why why do we all have to wait for something so fucked up and horrific to happen to have the conversations? Like, why, why can't we just have the conversations without something fucked up happening? Mm. And that's, like, for me, like, it's frustrating because Indigenous people are here, we're waiting to have the conversations, but it's like non-Indigenous don't want to have it and, until something fucked up happens. It's like they feel guilt and it's like, all right, it's time to have the conversation. Did, mm. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, fucking hell. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how the news cycle works, mate. Like, yep. you know, um, we're, our attention is so easily fucking stolen out of a moment and put somewhere else, you know. Yeah. And I think that this is the, the, this is the time right now to stay with this. Um, I've noticed a lot of young kids are a lot more involved. I feel like a lot. I feel like kids un, under 15, 16 and under sort of know more than their parents, that's for sure. That's the secret to success right there. And that's the thing, though. Like, if, we're, if we've got a good um, curriculum in schools that are, multicultural that's that's how it's going to change um there's definitely there's definitely um a lot of good coming out of the, the bad if you'd like to find out more about the films and documentaries otis carey mentions in this interview check out west wind Puri and the rainmakers warwick thornton's we don't need a map australian dream rabbit proof fence Samson and Delilah. But Connor, I mean, your mum's Japanese, right? Yeah, yep. Um, yeah. I mean, what do you make of all this? You oh, that makes you a, a person of color. Yeah, no, nah, it does for sure. I mean, when mum first moved here, she struggled a lot with, um, you know, just the fact that just the white supremacies are just, you know, like what you know, what are you doing here, kind of thing. And she was, it took her a little bit to kind of, I guess, make everyone else feel comfortable that she's okay. You know, she's not, you know, this crazy criminal or whatever. And um, she felt pretty vulnerable. She was just like, you know, I don't feel comfortable here because, you know, I get people that are yelling at me because, you know, I'm, I'm Asian and I'm from Japan and whatever. And um, now now it took her a while to, to get it to settled in and for everyone to kind of understand that she's here for good, and um, which I have no, re- no idea why, but I guess that's just some people's personalities and... Um, yeah, now I mean now it's good, but yeah, she definitely struggled when she first moved here. How fucked is that to having uh, racial slurs hurled at your mother, mate? I'd be wanting to cave cunt's head. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially because she was, she was one of the few sur- women surfers in Cronulla. Wow. So therefore, like every all you know, it was a man, pretty manly sport back in the day. Mm, it's so, brutal at the the best of times for yeah, women. Yeah, so she was just getting it in the water and on land. So it was just like, well, fuck, you know, you can't really can't win. And she was, yeah, she was struggling for a bit, but she's she, it's good now. And you grew up, I'm assuming, right in the midst of the, the Cronulla race riots, which was one of the most dismal chapters in Australian, you know, modern history. You remember much of that? Yeah, it was pretty intense. I was um, in year six. So, I was, yeah, I was 12. And, uh, 
yeah, we got really heated for a bit. Like, it, you know, Cronulla was pretty much in just straight lockdown. Like, there was all the, the you know, Lebanese community were just kind of taken over Cronulla for a bit. Like, one of um, – after that big ride on the beach at Cronulla, like, for like over in the next week or so, there was like a bunch of them like standing in the middle of the – the highway like just hurling whatever they can at cars driving past and um one of my mates dad's was putting the bins out one night and um a car came flying past his street and clocked him at like 60 k's an hour with a baseball bat and he was in a coma for like six months fuck so it got it was it was really like dangerous for a bit there yeah, there was no. That was a, a strange chapter because it often gets uh, portrayed as you know, like essentially what happened was for the international listeners, uh, we had uh, this kind of simmering uh, race feud between the, the predominantly Anglo-Saxon uh, coastal community there at Cronulla um, and the uh, you know Lebanese, uh, Middle Eastern, Mediterranean uh, communities that live in the western suburbs in the poorer you know, regions of the city because they, I guess, you know, that's how it works um, with s- systemic racism to a degree. You know, you get, if you're late to the party in the country, you get to live in the shit spots. So anyway, uh, it was this simmering thing. It blew up with a huge white pride rally at Cronulla um, where, you know, just a bunch of fucking torched imbecilic bogans beat the fuck out of uh, a, a handful of Bangladeshi uni students and an Aboriginal from memory because mm. uh, they had brown mm. skin, um, thinking that they, you know, they, I don't know, some bizarre show of force. And then in the ensuing days and weeks, there was um, all the Western suburbs, ethnic communities just p- cruising through town and stabbing and yeah, lo- looting and setting stores just, on fire. Yeah, just pretty much just belting anyone who wasn't their kind of same race which was pretty scary like as a as a kid and even for my all my friends and their families and my parents and they're all it was all everyone was on edge for ages just because didn't know you know they could have rocked up to every house and just belted everyone in the house like you just didn't know so um yeah it was pretty pretty heated for a bit there but yeah it's good that it's all good now and what should the surfing community do in this time um i mean obviously like as we just discussed, we had Shane Haran, Tom Carroll, um, these guys boycotting South Africa back in the day. And in particular, I remember Shane Haran had that iconic spray on his blue board there, the free Mandela spray. And, you know, these guys were trailblazing countercultural legends mm. uh, who stuck it to the man at every opportunity. You know, where's surfing's kind of moral fortitude uh, today, like, uh, is that what we should be expecting pro surfers to, to to now take some kind of political stand, show solidarity? I mean, we have enough people of color, and I, I don't even think color comes into it. Like, fuck, if you are someone who believes in basic human decency uh, and a fair fucking go, then what's going on right now is completely just just you can't even stomach it. It's sick yeah, I, I think it's uh, it would be awesome to see pro surfers, you know, like back things that they believed in or felt like were basic human rights uh, on every issue across the board. But It's it in exa- our creed, isn't it, it Vaughn? It extends beyond that too, Smithy, because we've seen just recently the positive effects that we can have as a community when we band together and we actually, you know, stand up for something that we believe in. Well, uh, the obvious uh, example being the fight for the bike campaigns. I mean, that just literally got those uh, drilling permits and all, and those big uh, sort of giant oil organisations just heading for the hills. 
And that, that was like a massive movement in this country that had a really positive result. Peaceful protests everywhere and um, a showcase of, of what, we can, what we can do, what we can achieve. So I think, um, you know, it's, it's beyond just fucking making a post on Instagram. Like, not saying that that's not good or whatever, but just, just one step beyond that. Find the right, like, places to donate money. Fund the uh, rebellion. That's what. If that's there's, what a, if there's a rally on or a protest, like go and take part in it if, if you feel passionately about it and and put feet on the ground. Just just do something beyond just sort of like double clicking, you know. Yeah, yeah, I was the same. I was saying this to um one of my mates. I was saying this to Stewie yesterday. Actually, we had a coffee and uh, when that Stewie whole, Kennedy, Stewie Kennedy, old SKX, um, beautiful former world tour. We're just chatting about it, and you know that whole. Spiel those last couple of days where everyone was posting that black photo and mm. Stewie was like, when are you going to post that black photo? Like as a joke. And I was like, I'm not just going to post a photo of a black back blank, you know, yeah. screen and not do anything else about it. Like it's kind of more like I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to try and help in a, in a deeper way, not just put a photo up and go, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, campaigning this as well kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I think like you said, going to a deeper level of it is more important than just double clicking mm. a post. And and, and if it, it it's actually the best thing about it is the hope. Like if, if you are part of any sort of peaceful protest, the feeling in those places uh, it can be heavy at times for sure, but it can also be so uplifting to see so many people feeling the same way about something. And and that's that's the way forward, right? Because what we're looking for here is change, systemic change. Uh, acknowledgement of, of misdeeds and fucking shitty structures that just don't need to be there anymore. And um, it all comes down to education and also feeling like change is possible. So that's that's the bottom line, Smithy. That's what we've got to do. And I think that everyone has a responsibility, certainly within surfing right now, to take what's going on as an opportunity to educate and fucking mobilise, get Get busy. Get busy That's doing right. something. Every and every do, every speech? dollar is a vote, Vaughn. Every yeah. dollar is a vote in capitalism. That's how this this system works. So it's all about putting money in the right places and defunding shit shows. You know, whether it's the police force, um, whether it's you know corporations that are aligned with uh, you know just the fucking racist figureheads and shit. Take the money off them. Put it somewhere where it matters. Um, I think that that's pretty much the most practical thing you can do. Nice one. But uh, in the meantime, I'm going to get angry. This revolution will be televised. I've been watching it on my phone while eating meat pies. Cheering it on, cheering it on. Come on, Seppos. Go on. How good, Vaughn. We finally got a horse in the race. Whoever knocks off Trump will buy you a case. What a win it'd be. Better than the chooks going back to back. Go on, you Seppos. Have a fucking crack. The land of the brave it truly is. You shook the can. Now watch it go fizz. Seriously, but are these pigs for real? I'd like to put one of them on the ground and take a kneel till he squeals. Macing protesters sitting peacefully on the ground, grabbing billy clubs and going to town, shooting pricks point blank in the face. Are these pricks snorting bass? America, you're a fucking joke. If it was up to you, there'd be white in your egg yolk. 
CIA, more like KKK. You and your fucking armies robbing the poor so you can go home and drown yourself in farmies. Fucking dismal. Abysmal. A cancer on the face of humanity. Pure greed-fueled insanity. Failed state. First it was Watergate, now this. Are you taking lapis? You make me sick. At least now I've got your flag after I take a shit. If you're on my inside, I'll burn you in the pit. Power to the peaceful. But fuck, they must have had a gutful. It's wearing me thin, making me ashamed of the colour of my skin. Their systems are farce. They expect the poor to take it up the arse. Lucky we've got Elon. He's going to take us all to Mars. Fucking dumb cunt. But it's not just there. It's here. It's there. It's fucking everywhere. If you're black or brown or poor, they'll give you the chair. Fucking soulless gibberish. Black hearts filled with maggots. I heard they even invented AIDS just to kill all those goddamn faggots. Chriso fucks. Pindict white boy cucks. Yuck, yuck, yuck. There's more than enough to go round. We live in abundance now. We'll even let you keep your roided up cows. Like Gandhi said, the world has enough for everyone's need, but not your stupid fucking seppo greed. Bez Bezos, you're fucking gross. Bill Gates, not mine, mate. Putin, more like puta. ScoMo, fuck no. Bolsonaro, lowest of the low. Can't America. Have a fucking go! Angry, but beautifully directed anger, Jed. On your Smeebie. On your mate. Oh, I'm in for a couple of Wim Hofs after that. I'll tell you, Vaughn. <sighs> so uh, a massive uh, under to the neo-fascist KKK Trump inspired uh, crackdown on peaceful protesters and the black community. But a massive over for everyone who's getting out there and having a crack. Oh, mate, we've been getting messages from the uh, American Swellians giving us, you know, tips on where to donate. Yep. And, uh, it's been awesome. Yeah, full of nothing but respect and admiration for all those standing up to this absolute dribble. So up the seppos and down with the seppos at the same time. Mm. I mean, like we were saying before, it's it's basically we're in that kind of civil war paradigm where it's like the Yankee Doodles versus the Southerners, but, you know, in 2020. So it's like hard to fucking... Yeah, I don't want to come across as too anti-American, but there's some serious fucking problems you got to sort out. I reckon I could use that, what you just said, as like a pre-surf psycho. You just go and just fucking rip the shit out of it after listening to that, eh? <laughs> oh, mate, you should have heard me when I was uh, captain of the Maruba Lions there back in South Sydney, back in the uh, kind of mid-noughties. There was a couple of them going around the change rooms before we went out to play the Coogee Wombats in the local derby That's there amazing. at Pioneer Park in front of Hydro Hill. Smithy I would love to see Smithy that. Smithy on the soapbox, mate. I would mate. So love to see Grand that. Grand final, down by oh, two, oh. halftime, Smithy's captain's captain speech. Oh, please. Mate, would have made Tommy Radonikus blush. Each week, I put in till there's no more to fucking put. I put in, and I'm sick of it. Ben Kilday, you've had 55 touches. Where's the fucking handball, you redhead cunt? Tomo! Don't know if I like you. I love you. But do you love playing footy? Morrow, I'll back you to the hills every week. Because I've got you. I've got you and I fucking love you. But get your fucking goal, you cunt! 
Righto, Smithy. Uh, that's us for unders and overs, just a couple, but... Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what do you got? You got another one? Yeah, we'll quickly rip through these bourgeois kooks looting surf stores oh. for surf crafts in Santa Monica. Like, for fuck's sake, mate, could you cheapen the movement anymore? Oh, just fucking hugest under of all time. All just the, such a fucking... Just rank. Joke. Just kooking it, mate. Like, all the, the looters... And, uh, you know, just the, the violence. We don't know where it's coming from. Like, it's, it's coming from opportunists. It's coming from criminals. It's coming from um, certain left-wing uh, aspects. And I guess you'd have to assume it's coming from the right, too. I mean, this is an old-school tactic. It's been around since Nero mm. burned Rome, since Hitler uh, torched their big parliamentary building and blamed it on Jews or whatever he did. Like, um, you know, so yeah. anyone who's committing any kind of violent act, you're a dog. Under. Massive Huge under. under. And quickly, uh, just some truly bizarre racism that can only be described as classically Indo. This one comes from Trax Magazine. It's being reported that foreign surfers who chose to stay on Bali amid the coronavirus pandemic have been given the nod by authorities to surf a couple of the island's most popular breaks, but the locals are still banned from joining them. What? Word is, Chungu and Padang Padang opened on Monday to foreign surfers only after authorities were scared if they continued to access the breaks through the bush, they would get bitten by snakes. Kidding me? Badung Badung Tourism Agency Chief Made Badra told 7news.com.au they felt sorry for the foreigners. We just feel pity for them staying in Bali, but they can't go to a beach, he said. They feel dizzy, a little bit stressed, we want to make sure all foreigners that still stay in Bali are happy being in Bali. Dizzy? A little bit stressed? Who fucking who, Smithy? That is outrageous. I mean, it's... Still, uh, the snake thing is real. I mean, that's <laughs> apparently that's what, um, you know, the late, great Peter Crawford died from a snake bite in Indo, so... Wow, that's yes. gnarly. That is so gnarly. I mean, uh, that throws a real stick in the spokes of that high, whole identity politics movement. I don't know what to make... About the uh, Gee, intersectional that's like, that's like, racism uh, there, it's very odd. Only in Indonesia can that sort of that sort of shit get. So the locals can't surf anywhere, or just there. Don't know. <sighs> oh, I don't know. Oh, I was actually under the impression that the the, the blow-ins, the tourists, would have a hard time getting the waves back after COVID lifted. Yeah, because I. Because I swear, you know, that uh, little Rio Waida, the mm. Grum, I swear he's been surfing heaps. But yeah. maybe the, maybe he's just putting clips up of him, like throwback clips. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, who knows? Sevennews.com.au. They're not exactly famous for the rigors of hard-hitting journalism, are they? <laughs> maybe it's just those two spots that they can't surf. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. You'd imagine yeah. on the East yeah. Coast there, dudes are ducking away. Which brings us to... Oh, well, obviously, uh, I don't know. Uh, fuck, it's hard to know where to stand on that. If it's I mean, real, it's a huge under. Cause it's like, a massive yeah, under. Stupid, yeah. That's just dumb. It's like ridiculous. Yeah. It's just like you kind of, my theory with Indonesia generally is just Dizzy, like, a bit stressed. keep your fucking head down and, you know, just support the, the general consensus of the country mm. and get your cones and get the fuck out of there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if Made uh, Badra or any of the um, fucking uh, constabulary, constabulary, 
over there in Indo are listening. Uh, Smivy's uh, on the fence for this one, but uh, for all the boys, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a massive under. Yeah, it's huge. Rancid. All right, well, we have a special guest in, uh, just dropped in, Mid-Ep, for a, uh, a quick chat. Hazza, welcome to Ain't That Swell, mate. Thank you, Vaughan. Great to be here. So tell us what's going on, because uh, me and Smivy, you've, you've dropped off a couple of beers, koala lagers, and uh, we cracked a couple for the koalas. Uh, what's the deal? Well, $2 from every can of koala lager, which is available across the northern rivers in all the best bottlers, goes directly to building and operating Australia's largest wildlife mobile hospital. Sick. And, and this is in response to basically the just full decimation of the koala population after the fires? A billion animals died during those fires. So it's not actually just the koalas. If you see, if once the Swellians get their hands on one of these bad boys, they'll notice that it says series number one. Mm. So we're hoping that it's a popular brew and we'll be able to move on to more versions. Mm. Series number two could be the Kanga brew. Yeah, right. Nice. Good little pun. Good little play on words right there, Brew. Well punned. <laughs> um, that's uh, really cool, man. So uh, how can the Swillians, you know, tap into this if they're, if they're not sort of on the northern rivers? Is there a way that people who are listening either, you know, from other areas in Australia or from overseas can help out with this building of this mobile hospital? Absolutely. You can head straight to www.wildlifehospital.org. Don't remember what the actual email or the website is. That's okay, mate. We're all human here. No one's perfect. <laughs> but uh, I mean, how yeah. good! What an initiative, Vaughn. That you know, you can get absolutely paralytic, shit the bed, drunk, and save the wildlife at the same time. Ah, it's a perfect, perfect system for Australians. That's for sure. Mm. Boys, I've found the website. It's on the can, isn't it? It's Sitting right in front can. of you. Yeah, it's well done. It is byronbaywildlifehospital.org. And that is where you'll be able to find links to donation potential. Uh, or you can go to Seven Mile Brewing Co. That's where you can buy a beer online and then it'll be delivered around Australia. Awesome, man. Seven Mile is who we partnered with to make this beer and they're absolute local legends of the Ballina area. And they've pretty much taken zero money from this. Everything's going straight to saving the wildlife. Sick, mate. That's really cool. On your has. Thanks for coming in, bro. My pleasure. Anytime. Catch you soon. Bye. All right, Smithy, now for something a little bit different, mate. Uh, this isn't a new section per se, but actually a new way of telling stories for you and me. We went on a, a little jaunt down to uh, Victoria and we did a radio profile, mate, a radio story, if you will. Mm. Is, this, uh, is this where we get the Walkley? This is our uh, kind of homage to This American Life and some of the absolute dons of radio journalism? Yeah, this is a, a little nod to that style of storytelling for sure. So what we're going to do um, in the coming months is profile border riders clubs from all over the country. Um, happy to take your suggestions if you are a member of uh, one of those chorus to the core, just the fabric of who we are That's as a right, surfing nation is born in the border riders clubs. And uh, Quicksilver have come on board as uh, the sponsor of this section. So uh, they've been uh, awesome partners in this one. And our first club, Smitty, is the Torquay Board Riders Club, right yeah. there in the heart of the surf capital of Australia. Please enjoy this half-hour journey through the history of the TBC. Quicksilver. 
in association with Ain't That Swell presents Blood Riders. Seven heats and ripping in. It used to be a house of sin. But now it's only halfway bent. Because we're saving for a new club tent. A mighty refuge of serpent froth. We'll flog them at the team's event. Those must get all fuck off. We got the opens, the masters, girls and grubs. Long live forever, the great Australian Ford Riders Club. There needs to be an investigation. Oath Quicksilver. Roots run deep. MRTC. Mikey the Mongrel. Oyo. Back in grassroots surfing and back in the Australian Board Riders Club. Let's rip in. Alright, we'll get out the next one. 3, 2, 1. It's a public holiday long weekend in summer. A day to watch cricket for some, a day for the beach for others. A day to sit around doing fuck all except sink piss for most Australians. Your boys, Smitty and Deadly, have left the djembe beats and ganja clouds of the wrecked car park in Byron in their wake. They've boarded a couple of red eyes and headed south to a land where core lords sprout out of the sandstone like windblown tussock, where football is played in shorts that look like undies, and where beer is served in thimbles of glass called pots. Not fuck pots, just pots. That's right, we're headed to Victoria. The mission is to bring Swillians into that most chorest of establishments where the fabric of who we are as a surfing nation is well and truly woven. Yes, we're talking about the Board Riders Club, or to be more specific, the Torquay Board Riders Club, an institution that has been around for over 50 fucking years, turning out champions, underground legends, mythical beings, and some pretty fucking loose cunts as well. Tuddy got out in the beer garden in front of all the people in the whole beer garden, stuck the hose up his ass, and spat a winkle on the lawn in front of the whole pub. Spitting the winkle in front of a packed house at the pub. Are you kidding me? Yes, it's an absolute honour for Ain't That Swell to be in Torquay. Today isn't any regular old club comp day. In fact, it's Torquay Board Riders' annual single fin comp. And this year, they've invited Malakuta Board Riders to join them. When we turn up, we're greeted with a crumbly windblown Janjuk lineup coughing up... <laughs> A couple of two to three foot whackable corners and the weather is pretty much exactly what you'd expect on this coast every fucking time you come here. Pissing down, nice sun's out, cold, didn't bring a jumper. Like, Just normal fucking Victorian weather. <laughs> you got to pack for, for a year's worth of seasons in a day. Four seasons in a day. In an hour. <laughs> That's the familiar voice of Matt Hoy a man who has a long and proud history with the people and the waves of what is known in these parts as Victoria's Surf Coast. Hoy has been coming to this region to compete 
and on surf trips since he was 16. And he immortalised himself as an honorary Victorian when he took out Damien Hardman to win the 1997 Rip Curl Pro at Bells Beach. Hoy is here today not only as a Quicksilver ambassador, but also because he shaped the first place trophy. A beautiful single fin surfboard made between the hours of 3pm and 5pm on a Friday afternoon. You get what you get and you don't get upset. We're set up today at Janjuk Beach, a wave that for many years was disregarded as a woeful pile of shit by the original trailblazers of the surf coast, but that in more recent years has become a regular go-to. Former Torquay Board Riders Club president Cale Bell Bell Warren describes the scene laid out before us. You're looking at typical Janjuk. Three foot, light onshore, main peak right, the odd cheeky left, uh, and fortunately the sand's covered the rocks, so it's a safe swim in. Even if you're not familiar with Victorian surfing, you might know Wazza. He's been a top-line competitor on the QE for years, and he helped coach Carissa Moore to a couple of Bells wins, as well as more recently delivered expert pro surfing analysis as one half of the most very excellent Lipped podcast with Jimmy Miles on your Wazza. And while we got you, mate, give us the good word on why Malakuta, a small club from a tiny town over 600 k's away, are here at the Single Fin today. Well, their town has got absolutely destroyed by the bushfires. Like, they're the ones who have been getting helicoptered out. The army had to go get them. So we've been doing a fundraiser for all their members that lost all their equipment. Um, a lot of their members have lost houses, businesses. So we're doing a fundraiser for them, but we're also including them in the event today. So give them something to look forward to, and hopefully they'll have a good time. Fucking earth, that's absolutely massive. Looking after the battlers in their time of need. <laughs> Mad. Poor keyboard riders, well played. But it makes me think, what has happened to board riders clubs over the past few decades? And how is Torquay, in many ways, representative of a cultural shift that has seen clubs change from dens of toxic masculinity, self-destruction, grommet abuse, peer pressure and raging hedonism to beacons of the community, houses of acceptance, tolerance, diversity and family? We'll unpack all that after the break. Oi, Smithy, you cop these quickie weddies yet? Mate, fucking warm, light, Mikey right near, I say more. Support your local surf shop and deck yourself out with the new Quicksilver Neoprene. It is warm, it is tight. Get decked. On a classic, say, bluebird autumn day here with six foot of swell, if you park at Point Danger and you look down the coast to Addis, which is the furthest point, about six or seven k's as the crow flies, there's probably 13 surfable reefs on the best of days. Um, And that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I reckon. To understand the fabric of Torquay board riders, you must first understand the landscape of the region itself. 
Located on the southeastern fringe of the continent, Torquay looks straight out into Bass Strait, a treacherous body of water between the mainland and Tasmania that is frequently bombarded by giant ocean storms that rage out of the roaring 40s. It is a beast of a channel, and it's claimed 1,000 seagoing vessels since the 1700s. Yet, it also provides surfers and surfing with some of the most iconic waves imaginable. Fucking oath, deadly. On bad days in winter, you can wonder why anyone would even bother with the joint. It's freezing in the water, you get sunburned and wind blasted and saturated and rolled by endless wash-throughs. On good days though, like the ones our old mate Muzzer Boyd described just moments ago, the whole coast lights up like my cerebral cortex after a handful of gold tops in Morris Cole's rave cave. Fried eggs on toast. Back in the old times, the biggest days were seen as mythical and taken on by only the corest of the Core Lord Warriors. And it was a particularly hardened, mongrel bastard who could paddle out at 18 foot bills in winter before the wetsuit was invented, let me tell ya. Uh, but truth be told, the land had been home to warriors for tens of thousands of years before the surfers had even paddled out. This is Wadarung country, and the Wadarung stood their ground against the arrival of the white fellas, often with dire and undocumented consequences. We'd like to take a moment right now to acknowledge the original custodians of the land and coastline, past, present, and future here today. Up the Wadarung. As with everywhere else in Australia, things changed radically once the whitefella farming came in. Torquay soon became a popular picnicking spot for Melbourneians who drive down a couple of hours south from the continental sporting capital for a day in the country. By the mid-1880s, the town was well and truly formed, and by 1910, there was a golf course, tennis courts, and even bowling greens for cunts who wanted to unwind from a big day of shearing sheep by letting a few roll with a Winnie Red in one hand and a pot of VB in the other. Surfing may have been happening around Torquay as early as the 1920s, but according to Matt Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surfing, the area's most famous wave, Bells Beach, was ridden in 1946 by Vic Tantow and Owen Yateman. The floodgates opened and early Bells standouts included Peter Troy, the original Indo-Feral, Joe Sweeney, China Gilbert and George Ming Smith, all members of the 1958 founded Bells Board Riders Club. The annual Bells Beach Easter Contest, inaugurated in 1962, invited surfers from all over Australia and the world to compete and is still running to this day, more commonly known as the Rip Curl Pro. Then in 1969, two major events happened in Torquay that changed the fabric not only of the town, but of the surfing world forever. Doug Claw Warbrick and Brian Singer started making surfboards and wetsuits under the banner of Rip Curl, and later that same year, Alan Green created a board shorts company called Quicksilver. 
Within five short years, both brands would enjoy global recognition, and on the back of their success, the little town of Torquay would become the surf industry capital of the world. Not that you'd have known it driving into the joint, as Torquay and Jack were mostly still quiet and rural, as longtime local Murray Boyd remembers. It was a, it was kind of just full of retired people. Um, all this, most of Jack was still farmland. Uh, most of Jack was still dirt roads. With Bell's Beach Board Riders Club enjoying only a brief existence, the town's surfers were looking for ways to galvanise. Though Muzzer recalls one of the earliest comps could have steered things in a very different direction. There was, I remember that Rod Brooks ran like a school comp for us and took us around and we surfed Rincon, but it was a kneeboard competition. Um, but I got squad disqualified for standing up, you know, as you do. Isn't that classic? A crippled club. Are you kidding me? Well, thankfully, Smeavit was only a couple of years later when a couple of hard-charging local brethren, Ross and Lee Wong Slavin, took the reins and kicked off the first meeting of what would go on to become the TBC as we know it today. We were there at the very start. About 1976, roughly. Oh, it was about 76. It's, it's arguable when we started because they, they stayed in the 78, but we really put the first committee together in about 76. In case you can't tell, Ross and Lee Wong have a fair income crack. They have a red-hot go. Mate, they rip in like a couple of absolute madmen. And we're speaking to them in Ross's garage slash shaping bay, a museum of ancient boards, uncrafted blanks and numerous other historical and modern surf paraphernalia. The two have played huge roles in the development of Victorian surfing. Ross has been a familiar voice every Easter over the loudspeaker at Bells, while Lee Wong was head judge of the comp for many years as well. With so much involvement on so many levels, the motivation behind starting the TBC does come off as surprising, as Ross explains. The main reason we started the club was Phillip Island already had a club up and going, and Peninsula had a club up and going, and we wanted to maintain <laughs> Torquay as, you know, what we saw as being the, uh, the strength of Victorian surfing. So we wanted to start a club so that we could compete with those guys on a regular basis. We have the utmost respect for those guys. I've got fabulous lifelong friends at both of those clubs that I treasure dearly, but um, we wanted to be, uh, yeah. you know, able to compete with them. So we had to have a club. But of course, nothing like a common enemy to bring the people together. No, not the fat white man, nor the corporate capitalist nihilistic swine, but the board riders clubs of Phillip Island and the Peninch. This is Ross again, talking about the first club meeting and the enrolment process. Initially sent out letters, I drafted a letter and sent it out to pretty much everybody who surfed or competed in the town. And I think I, I sent out with the help of Wong about, um, about 40 letters. And what, pray tell, did an early board riders club meet look like? To run a contest, we had two ammunition boxes, which are like, you know, A3 a, a size. Uh, one had some judging sheets in it. The other had a whistle and a, cup, and a couple of tally sheets. Of coloured paper and a tally sheet and, uh, and a loud hailer, and, and that was the event, you know. And we went there and we basically drew up heats and everybody who wanted to go in it went in it and uh, by about... Halfway through, we started drinking beer and the event just got better and better throughout the day. If that sounds like golden times, boy, you bang on. But to be honest, 
It's not all that different from what we're looking at today here at the single fin. There's a shitty little club tent flapping away under the sandstone cliffs. A PA playing Aussie Crawl and ACDC. There's a barbecue covered in oily, sizzling meat socks. And there's a heap of smiling faces. Sure, there are a lot more kids and there's more women in the water. There's probably a few less long necks and the ammo box has been replaced with plastic tubs, the scoring sheets with live heats. But all in all, the spirit of those first contests of a community coming together for and around a day of surfing lives on. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Board Riders, an investigation into Australian board riders clubs and their contribution to the culture of Australian surfing is brought to you by Quicksilver. Up the mountain and the wave. Following on from the initial formation years of the Torquay Board Riders Club, the world and surfing ended a period of bright colours, huge egos and big money. On the back of Quicksilver and Rick Curl's phenomenal growth, Torquay had become the epicentre of the Australian surf industry. The 80s was a time of excess. Surfing, surfers and board riders clubs became engaged in a culture of going hard. As life member Andrew Flint recalls, there was no better example of this than the notorious Ironman challenge between longtime rivals Torquay, Phillip Island, and those longtime arch rival, dirty low down mongrels from the peninsula. It was a really prestigious thing for guys to win because you had to, like, you know, eat sheep's eyes, scull a beer, you know, like, drink ox blood, you know, scull a beer, run around, you know, like a sprint, then do, like, 100 push-ups, scull a beer, you know, eat a, eat a cow's heart or something, you know, and then you'd have these, these winners and those guys, you'd, like, chair them around, like, we've got the biggest animal of, of all the board riders' clubs, you know. Lee and Ross Slavin concur. Our motto was, go hard or go home. In those days, it wasn't like a family club. It was us and our chicks. We just put up signs, fuck off. And, and I mean, they put up same signs telling yeah. us to fuck off. It was just, that was what mates did to each other in those days. You know, it was, you didn't take offence. You just knew it was that competitive. It was that combative that, that they thought that their beach was the premier spot in Victoria. We thought ours, it was tribal. But the wild behaviour wasn't just limited to the team's challenges. For a while there, it wasn't uncommon for the best surfers in the club to rock up for a heat straight from the night before, as multiple club champion and master craftsman Johnny Robbo explains. The year I won the Open was pretty much straight from Geelong to the beach. <laughs> um, those days are definitely done, but you'd be catching taxis back, all like, all right, hope it's pumping straight to the beach and uh, have a good day. You know, a lot of those nights we didn't drink, of course, so we just went out on <laughs> But, uh, you know, that used to be the go. A lot of crew just didn't really matter back then, you know? Like, it was all about fun and getting together and having a great time from the moment the first sign went to the end of it, if not carried on all night. Lifetime member Murray Boyd. You know, the 80s, that's what it was like. Like, it was have a go, charge, you know, like Peruvian paddling power and all that stuff. Um, didn't matter where you went, you know, people were pushing the envelope. Although getting smashed was a big part of surf culture in the 80s and 90s. It was also a state of mind that had a huge influence on the kids of the time. 
musician and shredder Johnny Hawkins has been in the club since as long as he can remember. His old man Stuart is a founding and life member. His younger brother Tim often featured in magazines as a pro junior and now Johnny has his own kids. The third generation of Hawkins embedded in TBC life. As a grom in the early years, Johnny reckons going to a club comp on a 12-foot onshore morning was the equivalent of getting thrown to the Lions. Just get out there, grommet. So you just had to learn the hard way, so you're just peaking. No one wanted to paddle out with you like bad luck, you're out there. And so you're just out there, just freaking. And I reckon I had a, a two-wave hold down in a heat, just come in, seen stars. Oh, man, just like finally going, are you all right? Are you all right? I was like, I'm nearly drowned. That was probably my worst one. But at the best, it's probably the best at the same time because it kind of, you know, gets you ready for when you get older and you want to go surf those waves and get a bit of respect out there. Jack Perry is another TBC lifer. Born and raised in Juck, his old boy Steve was the lucky bastard who scored the Oakley licence back in the day. Jack did time on the QE and has long been one of Vico's favourite sons. You can almost hear him yearning for times gone by. It's definitely changed a lot. Like, I think... um... I think the world's changed so much and you've kind of got to accept it. I know there's a few crew who got a bit disgruntled, you know, as there's been so many Grom divisions and, you know, they kind of, it used to be beers on the beach and, you know, everyone skull a beer before a final and it was, you know, it was pretty rogue and stuff and, oh, you know, it was so fun sort of being involved in that era, but I guess surfing's become a lot more professional um, in the last sort of 10 years and, and things have changed and I don't know, I feel like you just got to accept it, otherwise you're just going to be disgruntled and, and uh, you know, I don't know I feel like, you know, if you don't accept change you're just, you're going to be grumpy so I just embrace it and people want to have fun and more kids the better, it's kind of, I think it's, it's great for the town and it's kind of become like another footy club And just like footy clubs TBC today have put a huge emphasis on involving more women and junior girls to ensure that the club is a true reflection of its surf-loving community. Everyone's so supportive and it's just such a good environment to be around. That's the voice of 14-year-old Mia Huppets, who along with her two sisters, Isla and Anna, has been surfing in the TBC for four years. It's doubtful if the girls have ever heard of the Ironman event or the legendary shenanigans of past teams' challenges but they're forming their own golden memories of grommethood within the club. As nine-year-old Anna explains here. What do you like most about board riders? Hanging out with my friends and surfing and having fun. And sausages. <laughs> oh, yeah, and skating in the car park. Yes, it's magic times for the young swellyettes of the TBC. And an example of just how much things have changed since I was a grom. Coming in from a heat to find Vorno is a mincer scribbled into the sand with a stick and my bike hanging from the highest branches of the tallest Norfolk pine on New Brighton Beach. Fuck you guys, I know who did it. I'm coming to get you. We'll be back in just a minute. Do you suffer the embarrassment of bleached corn? Do you wear a gaff helmet to bed in case you end up surfing hollow reefs in your head movies? Are your contributions to robust debate limited to the words... Are you kidding me? Then you should donate an amount of your choice to Ain't That Swell. Help Smivy and Deadly deliver the world's best surf radio into your ears more than once every fuck all. Simply go to theswellians.com and hit the gross yellow button. Thank you 
for listening. Every beach has its local legends. Some of them might be sponsored, do the comps and make the big time. Some might shape boards, some of them might travel, others might live in the dunes and punch bongs all day. But at some point, all of them show up and blow up when the coast lights up on its greatest of days. With its propensity to deliver 18 to 20 foot swells a few times a decade, there are no shortage of wild units who've immortalised themselves with timeless rides that now sit in the great big book of TBC folklore. That's right, Smibby. We've already mentioned those early Bells pioneers, but when the Torquay Board Riders Club pitched a tent on the cliff on those days of days, generations of rippers stood ready to take it on. We're talking about Ray Freeth, Graham Galley Galbraith, Cole McDougall, Bobby Smith, Stuart McRae, Cole Edgar, Pete Mann, Mike DeSass, Grant Forbes, Rowan Sapwell, Dave Matthews, Rod and Troy Brooks, Ross and Lee Wong Slavin, Andrew Flitton, Greg Brown, Morris Cole, The Hawkins, Stu, Johnny and Tim, Jeff Rowley, Nathan Edwards, Nick and Nige Mushcroft, Kale Bell Warren, Harry Mann, Tony and Mick Ray, Kim Thompson, Johnny Robbo, Jeff Torrance, Mark Rayner, Carlo Loudon, Pin, Glenn Casey, Paul Fast Eddie Hart, Damian Wilson, Jack Perry, Johnny Law and his boys Marlon and Tom, and Damian Rambo Bibby. And if that's not enough, there's even an underground core lord called Madge. He used to work for my dad at Oakley, like back in the day in the warehouse, and it he, I think he's won like three or four um, board riders titles and he's so undercover. But crew, like, I feel like three quarters of the club wouldn't even know who he is. And if he paddles out at Winky, like he doesn't get the respect he deserves. And he's he still absolutely rips. But I don't know, there were guys like him and Jeff Tarr and sort of all these kind of, yeah, they were a bit mythical and they kind of run to their own beat. But that was such good surfers. Um, yeah, there was some sort of underground crew that have kind of, you know, been and gone and they still sort of pop up here and there and have a surf and absolutely rip. Yes, there's no shortage of courage in this neck of the woods, but of the generation of kids who came through in the 90s, one name stands tall as the most legendary of them all. Well, obviously there was Sean Brooke. I'd say Sean Brooks. Uh, For me it was definitely Sean Brooks. Son of champion surfer Rod older brother of CT competitor Troy. Sean Brooks was a standout surfer the moment he jumped in the ocean. Long-limbed and swooping, at one stage he was a junior world champ and he featured in plenty of Quicksilver ads, throwing tail when such a turn was still rare, all in his patented fluoro yellow weddy. But it was in the big stuff that Sean found his calling. In a story published in Surfing World, fellow Victorian charger Carlo Loudon told Sean Doherty I remember one day we'd got Rod's Mercedes and rocked up at Big Massacres radically hungover from a big night out I proceeded to paddle out and cop the worst wipeout of my life Sean paddled out and got the cover of tracks the Brooko files overflow with stories like this of incredible sessions in giant oceans with fuck all people around Troy Brooks told Doherty in the same article, I was in awe of his surfing. He was a risk taker, a charismatic risk taker, and having fun in the heaviest, most serious situations ever was what he was all about. 
Sean had a wild streak that at first didn't seem all that unusual, especially for a young bloke in the go-hard or go-home 90s. Writing off was just a part of life, and for the Groms in the TBC, he was damn near mythical. There was, you know, times when he would have a minder going out the night before a team's titles and they'd either pick him up, you know, dead to the world in his bed and throw him in the bus or pick him up at the nightclub on the way, in the bus on the way. And then Sean just stumbled up, abused the whole bus, passed out, got back in, you know, we got to Phillip Island, he was still asleep, everyone was too scared to wake him. And we're like, Sean, Sean, you've got a surf. And he's just like come out of nowhere and he's brought, it's the middle of summer, he's brought a 4-3 with him. And he got scissors out and he cut the arms and the legs off the suit and he went out, everyone's laughing at him on the beach from all the other clubs and he just went out there. Got a 9-5 and an 8 or something. It came in and it was game on and he was just like ready. And then we won and then he was the wildest party animal on the way home. And um, I think at the time my dad was driving the bus and we were coming down the main street and Sean had climbed out the window with the trophy and sat on the roof of the bus while we're driving down the main street of Torquay going, Torquay fucking board riders. <laughs> it was radical when we're, you know, 16 years old, just going, oh my God, how's that? It's crazy. Sadly, Sean took his own life in 2012, losing a long and difficult battle with schizophrenia. Although the disease took hold in his late teens, it wasn't until years later, when he'd moved to Sydney with his parents and was finally diagnosed, that his friends in the community began to understand the tortures he'd been suffering, and that certainly accounted for some of the more radical behaviour and Brooko stories that had gone down over the years. Over 300 people attended Short's Paddle Out at Bird Rock, one of his all-time favourite local reefs. It hit home massively, especially when we had uh, the wake down here up at Bird Rock and, and, you know, the whole community gathered around and it was, you know, pretty pretty sad moment. You know, he's one of the best surfers to come out of this, this joint for sure, so, you know, that stuff hurts, especially with a, a family like the Brooks family too that are, you know, pretty proud and, and you know, pretty deep in, in, in Vico culture. Yeah. Here's to you, Brooko, one of the TBC's all-time greats. We'll be back in just a moment. quote from the immortal Paul Witzig classic all down the line is true and grommets are the future then it probably doesn't hurt to have them involved in the administration of your club meet Harry Mann the 26 year old who in 2017 won the Bells trials and surfed in the Rip Curl Pro against Gabriel Medina and Ryan Callanan he's recently inherited the club presidency from Kale Bell Warren another guy who can get a pretty wispy teen moustache going but it's still a few good years off a full beard. For a couple of young fellas, they've done a spectacular job turning TBC into a club capable of being Australia's best. I don't really know what our town would be like without a board eyes club. I don't think everyone would be as connected as they are. Like, yeah, it's, it's kind of everything as a young surfer growing up to be part of the club. You're not wrong there, Hazza. Until the stumble in the semis of this year's Australian board riders battle, the TBC look the team to beat. There's a feeling that something is brewing within this club. 
and the support pathways are in place to get wonder kinds like Xavier Huxtable, Bella Wilson, Cody Robinson, Remy Filer and Paddy Hughes on the Woozle Tour representing Victoria at the highest possible levels. But it's the team's events, those same competitions at the core of the TBC's very foundation where success means everything. It's just always surprised me that Brooker and Marshy and all these guys, and we never took out like a national final. We want to win ABB. We want to take out a national title. And I want to win a national, you know, tag team. If it's ABB, if it's Kira teams, if it's anything, like, I feel like we're good enough. It makes sense, doesn't it? A town with a surf community that works together, plays footy and cricket together, has a beer and a chuff in a bush doof together, that created surf empires and a cottage industry of underground shapers, glasses and DIY heroes. It makes sense that they'd put together a board riders club with team spirit and community at heart, particularly in these times of swampish self-interest and endless capitalist fuckwittery. Now, surfing's everything in Torquay. We've got, you know, the Raquel Pro, we've got Bells, we've got Winky, we've got some really good waves. So I think surfing is, is big to the town. Yeah, well said, Has. You've nailed it, mate. TBC, Torquay and the coastline, they're all part of one giant organism. As times changed, they've changed, physically and in spirit. But I'd like to wrap up our little trip to Torquay with a small passage from an old surfing world story on the town penned by the great Jocks Arong. I think it sums up pretty beautifully the undeniable truth of how special it is to be a surfer from this place. On a big day at Winky, the cliffs hide the sprawl and the crowd thins down to those with the knowledge and the stamina to get around the button and deal with the northward sweep towards lowers. Those who appear in the lineup on such days describe it as a reunion, a swell-born reminder that under all the cosmetics beats the true heart of a little town. And the sea still smells like paddocks in a Norwester. Good news, Smithy. The Mikey Ride board short is out. It's available now. Fucking awesome short. And yes, it's called The Dark Side. A mullet-headed madman everywhere. The swelling and spirit animal, Mikey Wright lives. Get his boardies on your thighs. Support your local surf shop or check out thequicksumer.com. Yeah, righto, righto. Let's wrap this thing up with a classic Swellian road trip story from a TBC bus trip up to the Kira Teams Challenge with good old club champ and absolute core lord Mick Ray at the mic. Kira Teams Challenge or something. And I was, I was a team manager driving the bus and stuff. We took the bus with about 20 crew up there. And um, Damien Bibic and like a bunch of other crew. And... Uh, after we bombed out, we went down to bar and for a party night, and I, I booked this hotel and sort of went and said, hey, there's like four or five of us, and we've got a hotel room for the night, and obviously there was like 20 of us. <laughs> I was like, all right, boys, we've got to be pretty quiet, you know, like, got the hat, the fucking, got the, the work, I think I had the work credit card on the on the room, and um, of course, 20 of us came back to the hotel room and just started trashing the joint, and about five in the morning, the fucking, the the motel manager's banging on the door and uh, it's, I'm going to call the police, I'm calling the police 
and Damien Bibis got up in his bungers with a with a Marlboro Blue fucking hanging out of his mouth and just going, fuck off, mate, I'm fucking having a fucking party or whatever. And so we had to gather up all the crew and bail before the cops came. And the funniest thing was, I, I, it was a classic that um, the hotel manager somehow found out, I worked to because I had my work card off on the thing, and he actually rang up Brian Singer. <laughs> He rang up Brian Singh and went, fuck this, Mick Ray's been at the at motel and the board guys have trashed the joint. And Brian's gone, yeah, mate, what do you fucking expect? It's the talkie board riders. And hung up on him. And, and then I saw him the next week. He's like, yeah, you guys trashed the hotel room. It's fucking sick. <laughs> it was awesome. I'm Harry Mann and up the fucking swallions. Ask us a question, we'll tell you no lie. Ask us a question, we'll tell you no lie. Righto, well, we're in for a bit of fun now, Connor. We're throwing it open to the Swellians, mate. And, um, I'm just going to start things off by giving a little shout-out to Mike Savatier, I think his name is, from uh, New Jersey. Swellian listening all the way over there on the Filth Coast. Hope you're doing all right, mate. And I uh, hope things fucking sort themselves out. Or fucking you're part of the team that helps sort it out over there in the States at the moment. Uh, Mike just wanted to know, does Mason Ho top five for all surfers in the planet? In you guys, we talk about Mason a lot on this show, but is he a top five surfer for you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah. He's he's fucking so exciting. Well, what's it's just it's different exciting? Yeah, what do you what, what do you make of like what do you dig about Mason's approach, Connor? Um, just the fact that being different is okay, and like he sticks to his his approach, and he's not going to you know change it for anyone else. He's just going to do it and surf slabs on rocks, and you know. Do backflips and charge a hundred foot hundred foot waves on nine O's. I reckon it's fucking sick. What do you make of those trippy weird slabs he's surfing? Like, what's your read on that stuff? I mean, you're of an ability yeah. where it's at least somewhat relatable. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, I don't even know. Like, he's he's just. I guess he's that's just his niche, eh? Like, just mm. chasing stupid slabs that aren't on water. Does, <laughs> or does he, in water, yeah. just on rock, yeah. What the fuck? Does he get real know. hurt surfing them? What's the go? I on, swear man? in those clips he just doesn't get hurt. Doesn't he he gets things on his board. Those, those yeah. rocks are sharp, man. They're like, so they're, sharp. They're, they're, the volcanic rock on, on some of those uh, those West Coast waves in particular, they're, they're just so real. Uh, it's hectic. But anyway, I think uh, it's a unanimous decision that Mason Ho, it, is yep. his clip something that you look at and, and uh, yeah. like, what do you think? What goes through your mind? Are you going, whoa, that's just fucking ridiculous? Or are you going... It just makes me want to go surfing. Yeah, like, he just, does, doesn't just, he? You That's know, the magic yeah. of it. Yeah. Okay, uh, here's one from uh, Graham Blade, who's a, a long-time listener on your blades. He's got a, a Blade relative question. He's asked us this a few times. I don't know if we've uh, ever read it out, but how long after you order a board is it okay to ask, is it ready? <laughs> that's all time. Oh, fuck, straight away. <laughs> <laughs> you put the order in, you're just straight on the phone of the show yeah, the next morning. Hey, uh, what's, where, where, when fuck. am I picking this thing up, mate? 
Yeah, well, my non-blood uncle, Simon Jones, uh, behind Morning of the Earth Surfboards, I feel like it's a six-week to six-year wait on a... Uh, <laughs> One of those, one of those twin fins that you yeah. and Torrin are working on. So yeah, I don't know exactly. You wouldn't uh, even hear back from him, I don't reckon. Yeah, yeah, no, he's the grand wizard up there on his Pat Malone and his yeah. tin shed, just <laughs> sanding blanks and sh- shaving blanks as quick as one man can do. But uh, yeah, he's got. Uh, I'm pretty sure the the order form, the parchment, is uh, basically going from his house in Cooper Shoot uh, to Brunswick Heads. It's that long. I reckon four weeks. Four weeks is good enough. Mm. Then he'd ask. I think it's a month, you know. I've just, I haven't had a new board for so long, man. Like, definitely not one made for me. Um, yeah, it's been a while. I, I, I think uh, when I was a grommet, I waited a long, long time for boards if you put in order. Mm. Yeah. I feel like if you give it, a, give it a month, I feel like a month's good to ask. Mm. To go, yeah, is it nearly there? What about, so even you, if you're putting in orders for, I don't know, Fiji or something, how, what sort of uh, time limit do you have to put in, put on that sort of? Uh, I'll give it like. Because you got, you're on the. like two uh, weeks. Well, you're two on Channel Islands, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is that, who's the shaper you're working with mostly? I'm working with Matty Penn. Mm. Yeah. He's a fucking he's legend. Fucking yeah, legend. he's so good. He's epic. Just chorused Aussie guy you'll ever meet in mm. your life. Just, you know. Spends years in the shaping bay, just loves it. Um, yeah, so I've got a I've got a really good relationship with him over the past, um, like yeah, three or four years, and um, yeah, they're they're really good with pumping boards out. Yeah, um, Channel Islands have a such a great time frame with you know we'll let you know like this is when they'll be ready like instead of oh you know come back to us in three weeks and mm. we'll let you know they're like you know this it'll be ready this time pick it up. And they're always always on time. So yeah. I feel like that's one reason why I went to the with them in the first place. I was riding Warners before that. And uh, you know, Brett was Brett was he was really good and he was, you know, awesome to, to work with. But uh uh it got to a point where I was like, I need I need to know when when I'm going to get a surfboard. I've yeah. got an event in two weeks, and is it there? And he's just like, "Oh no, I'm not sure." I, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure, man. And you'll you'll back me on this. But Brett Warner's actual billboard out the front of his factory says, "Is my board ready yet?" <laughs> yeah, it, it actually does. does yeah. Hey, yeah, it does, in Brookie, yeah. like as you're driving yeah. past, it says, "Is it is my Warner yeah, ready?" It yet? does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, at least he knows he's uh he's that's his that's his marketing. Exactly. He's tapped yeah. it. Yeah. Um, all right, boys. This one's from uh, Seamus, and uh, he's had a few cracks in the wave pool. Old Seamus, on your buddy. He said, "What do you think of the idea that the Wuzzles should put two wild cards into the World Title Surf Off event, uh, being implemented <laughs> maybe as a crowd voting system?" I don't know about the World Title Surf Off, but I'll tell you what. I reckon straight up wild cards for just the uh, events during the year. Yeah. Is not a bad idea. Like imagine Especially just Especially G Land. Well, I, I always come back to uh Bethany Hamilton, right? If she's in an event, everyone's gonna watch it. Like yeah. every single person on earth is gonna watch it. Yeah. And she'll she's a good chance at, at getting high into the draw. Yeah. So um I know she was on the QE, she was planning to have a massive crack at the QE this year and trying to qualify, and I wouldn't doubt that she'd make it. But why not yeah. in the interim, if you were the WSL just Open up a position to put mm. a Bethany in or a Dane Reynolds if he feels like surfing in a Fucking comp hurt, or, yeah. you know, sure. any one of these guys. Like Noah Dean, throw him in a comp, see mm. how he goes in the fires of competition. And, yeah. man, it's just like 
you're just asking for just mass publicity and uh, really good storytelling when you've got fresh names just chucked in that furnace. And let's see how they go too. Fuck, I'd pay to watch Rob Machado at G-Land. That would be unbelievable. Big time. Yeah, full wild card, just Rob just... I'd just be like, yeah, I'll just sit back and watch. What do you reckon, though, man? As someone who has, you know, grinded the queue, um, is is that something that actually would get under your skin, seeing people just get an opportunity in, in an event? Oh, if it's someone super left field like those guys are, then not really because, you know, I feel like that's just help helping the sport grow. Mm. You know, and you got you got – if you had guys like Noah and Creed and – uh, like yeah, full even like Margot or something like Louis, you know those guys like that. It'll just it'll bring in that extra bit of entertainment that you know surfing needs, and um, yeah, it'll just hype it hype it up that little bit more. Like fuck, who wouldn't want to watch Rob in a heated pipe or fully, you know, fucking Hoyo at Bells or just just random people like that. You just throw in and go, hey, do you? We've got a spot for you if you want it. And it would give them motivation as well. Oh, to go, imagine Fuck, I'm imagine like, yeah, like the, the Masters World Champ gets a, a wild card to G-Land. we got like Gamote and Dave McCauley surfing heats oh. against, you know, you guys. Yeah. It would be filth. Yeah, Love it. it. Be, yeah. Question here from Marnie Meredith. Why does Connor Coffin get scored so high for doing four of the same down carve cutbacks <laughs> on a wave? I'm going to throw that to you, Connor. <laughs> Who's that? Who, was, who are they calling out? Uh, Connor so Coffin. Connor Coffin gets a fierce roasting on this program, I've got to say. Does he? Oh, wow. Um, oh, God. I, get, I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, I sometimes think of that myself, but um, <laughs> um, I guess they love the lines he draws and that's that. I don't know. It's kind of a hard, that's a hard question to answer, really. All right. No, it's good enough. Uh, moving along, Matt Lee has a question. How can West be best if TB thinks 5G causes corona? Cunt's done too many skull drags on Nemotu. <laughs> yep. well, we'll take that as a comment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's a fucking sick comment. Uh, here's one for you, Smivy. Uh, this is from Josh Connor, long-time Swellian, uh, always chirping on the on the comments <laughs> threads. But uh, Josh wants to know, and this is, this is a very, I think this is a, a timely question. With John John now married and Gabby being snapped up by a cougar, can we expect another blood feud in 20 years' time between the offspring of said giants? Could this be the start of an entire lineage of hate? And will little Gab be entirely hairless? Uh, well, I mean... Uh, oof, geez, the boggles. A, the, the mind is boggling right now. I'm trying to sort the uh, chaff from the nuggets. But... Uh, Yes, an intergenerational blood feud. I like the sound of it. Well, I know that when uh, Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf got together and had a baby, that happened. I mean, two of the all-time greats of, Just of a tennis, fucking all-star baby. And apparently, some company signed up their offspring like instantly, or, or there was a rumor oh, yeah. that someone was trying to sponsor the baby because of uh, like you know the horse racing thing, the the genetics. What's that called in? Um, Oh, it's it's. Uh, oh yeah, remember. like the the the, the creme de la creme of jizz, yeah. that was, <laughs> <laughs> or chronic ovaries. Is but this I mean, a scientific term? Have we, I mean, we've all, we've always thought about it, but what would be the ultimate? Is there any um? Is there any sort of combination of surfers that you can see mm. where if that 
sort of, uh, you know, the, the gene line flew yes, in. Yes, I like where you're going with this uh, yeah. a kind of a, a more of a, a Communist Party of China approach to uh, mating. You know, I know that Yao Ming was basically the product of two exceptional exactly. basketball talents who were deliberately matched together and, yeah, right. you know, uh, forced to mate in front of a room full of Communist Party executives as they <laughs> rode on chalkboards and... <laughs> Well, Jack uh, Clifford and Alana, that has to be the closest. Oh, Jelana Chard. Yeah. So, the, the, the offspring of Jelana Chard. Yeah, you'd have to think <laughs> that uh, that that specimen is going to be have one vicious top turn. Mm. I mean, yeah. well, combining Alana's top turn with Jack Freestone's aerial ability, I mean... You, have you thought about it? Have you thought about, uh, yeah. you know, maybe... I'm go, trying to like, think of it. Put yourself into the future. Yeah. And bringing up a child who has the potential to be a professional surfer. Yeah. Not really, no. <laughs> like, oh, f- fuck, I'd, if they're good at, if they have interest in it, then yeah, I'll, I'll like back them or whatever. But if they don't have interest in it, I'm not going to push it. Mm. It's mm. just one of them. Uh, Luke Summer has a question. How many corporate scum do I have to baptize before Laurie Towner gets sponsored dollar again? Well said, Vaughn. How many? Can you put a, uh, a numerical figure on the Ooh. amount of corporate scum he's going to have to baptize? Oh, jeez, man. No. Is it two? Is it five? Is it... 150. It's got to come at some point, doesn't it? You'd hope so. I mean, Lucky it's going to go just like be that good and mm. and not even have, you know, a free block of wax coming his way. Ah, it's baffling. Mm. I mean, I just watched uh, Wade Goodall's, you know, Opus Coast. Uh, what was it? Pente- Pentecostal. Pentecostal, yeah. that's the one. Incredible Pente- film. And he's, mm. you know, basically at the peak of his powers in his early 30s, surfing as good as he's ever surfed. Um, I know him and Laurie Towner come up together through Billabong. They'll... Both, I mean, both as fucked up as each other. It's just so bizarre that the tiki gods that run the surfing cosmos chose Goodall and not Towner. I just don't get it. You know what I mean? Like we could be watching Laurie uh, just pack giant cones, and you know he's got the sickest calves. Like he's got such a great style on good quality waves of all oh, sorts. Man, it's it's just, just outrageous. It's yeah. I, I think that the the takeaway is just. Fucking, there is no takeaway. It's a, it's a mystery. It's a mystery because he's a great bloke. That's the other good thing. You like, you got a legitimate role model there, like a guy who isn't scared to put in a mm. put in the hard yards. He doesn't. He's not scared to work. He's like, he's on. Mm. Anyway, it's hard with especially personalities like Laurie Hay, who are so humble and and all that. That it's hard. I mean, I'm I'm kind of like put myself in the same boat as Laurie in the sense of like it's hard. When you don't have an ego mm. to to get that sponsorship back, I don't know. And then you see all the people that do have egos, and they've got all the sponsors. And is that how it works? I don't. I don't know. I, I just. Yeah, I it's, don't know. it's interesting that you put it's it like thing. that. There it's is a weird one. Yeah, there is a, a a strange toxic strain of the ego that runs through professional surfing, and I feel like it ultimately kind of culminates in poison by the end of these guys' careers. You know, I'm watching so many ex pros uh, like quite well-to-do, successful ex-pros just disappear down wormholes of drug and alcohol addiction into rehab and whatnot. So, I mean, sure, the, the lack of an ego, I've always said you've got to uh, destroy the ego or it's going to destroy you. Mm. So maybe it's a blessing in the long run that yeah. you, you have a humble character and um, you know, you're know you a kind, caring, compassionate guy versus that, that mongrel who's you know paddling all over you and shouting from the rooftops about how fucking much of a sick cunt he is. <laughs> Uh, I've got a comment here, Smithy, from Righteous. Uh, can't get into his gram because he's got it blocked. But uh, yeah. he says uh, a non-gender specific solution 
to saying swelly in and swelly it could be swelly eye. There you go. Ah, I like that. Yeah. Yes, well played. <laughs> Just uh, one for the. There you go. Yeah. One for the think tank. I kind of like the swelly in and swelly it though. Yeah, is um yeah. is your lovely fiance a swelliette? You know? She is a swelliette. She loves it. G'day, Steph. Yeah, big hi to Steph. We'll probably drive down. Um, we're driving down to Sydney next week, so I'll probably just be putting swell in. Well, we just put a three a three hour episode up yesterday, I think, and uh, it was three weeks old. But it's it's worth a listen. It's pretty good surf <laughs> yeah, course on there. Sweet. And uh, this fucking love out. surf course. He's How so good is funny. He? I saw him out Ballina yesterday, and it's funny watching him paddle out because you know you know that half the lineup would just. Be so pumped on knowing who Surfcore yeah. was. But they don't. They don't. Uh, although that balaclava he was wearing over his face in the lineup was a tad conspicuous, Vaughn. <laughs> but uh, we've got one from uh, Andre Potapel. Saw Mr. Smith sitting in the back of his pano, de-waxing his boards, spreading his old wax all over the broken head car park like some degenerate throwing his rubbish out the window on the highway. Does he use organic free-range biodegradable wax? Or is the old wax still sprinkled all over the car park, poisoning <laughs> the local bush turkey population as they try to feed their young? Perhaps there is a giant wax ball in the back of the peno. He was planning to roll over it to collect the old wax of the road. Need answers. Cheers, lads. Love your work. Fuck, that's Holy one of the best. Cooker. One of the best. Is that a cone piece, Smithy? Uh, it's on the way. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. I might have something to say about that, Vaughn. Uh, <laughs> I mean, do I use organic, free-range, biodegradable wax? Does such a thing exist? <laughs> um, I mean, I think it so. does, but it's slippery. That's the bummer. Yeah. Yes, it's always a catch. Um, is the old wax still sprinkled over the car park, poisoning the local bush turkey population? <laughs> I mean, trying to feed their young—it's a bit of an extrapolation, but it's not impossible, Vaughn. Uh, you know, I am a somewhat of a virtue-signaling nihilist, uh, shape-shifting reptilian, cone-feed degenerate. Uh, but, yeah, I was fucking pressed for time, mate. The surf was cooking. Yeah. You've got to get the wax off the board. What do you want me to do with the wax? Should I put it in the grass? Should I put it uh, on the concrete? Should I put it in landfill? What's the fucking difference? <laughs> well, the other thing uh, to not worry about too much is bush turkeys uh, being fed by their parents. Because, in fact, a little bit of trivia here for you. Uh, the male builds a giant, you know, two foot high, uh, two meter high sometimes, you know, pile of dirt that then starts to ferment and warms up. The female comes along, sticks her beak into the uh, the hot dirt and goes, yep, this feels hot, it's in a good spot, digs a hole, lays an egg, covers it, and then walks off and leaves the uh, the bird forever, never comes back. And the male, who's the father, uh, you know, once the female's let, let it, done it do its business, he just keeps guarding the nest waiting for other females. And when the bird finally hatches, it's full, fully feathered, digs out of the dirt, and as soon as he pokes out of the dirt... The dad thinks it's a, a, a rival male and just runs to the top of the nest and just fucking boots it into the bush. Wow. <laughs> True story. And that is the life of a bush turkey. Incredible. They don't have any parents. Fucking they're just hell. orphans from the moment they're born and they've just got to survive. They've done a fucking wonderful job too because they used to only be up in far north Queensland and now they stretch all the way to the south coast. Well played, bush turkeys. Keep <laughs> nibbling on my wax. Hope it's uh, delivering you sustenance there in the broken head car park. True story, true story. Amazing birds, amazing creatures. Boy, that guy was very um, observant, hey? Just like Smitty. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. Mm. <laughs> okay, so this is from uh, J.R. Hermsies, or J.R. Herms. He said, what would you love to see US President Donald Trump wear on the head? My vote is a psycho chopu looking set from the Code Red Swell 
but at Cloudbreak. You know the one. Oh, I think he's talking about the wave that I got caught inside of that time. Mm. Anything you'd like to see Trump wear on the head, boys? I'd love to see that, but I feel like it might bounce straight off his toupee. There's that much wax in it. Mm. Hold it in place. <laughs> Some crazy, that Cyclops wave just laying on his back, just getting the lips straight to oh, the forehead. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> Cyclops. Yeah. Remember that wave? That wave blew up for about... A year and then never heard of it ever again. I think again, what, once, yeah. once yeah. the uh, once the that really good bull broke his back on it. I think oh. that pretty much killed it. Yeah, I, I remember uh, Kobe and and Matthews going down and having a crack on it, but Jai Abbott and caught a wave on it. Backhand, yeah. Back ouch! Fucking psycho, mate. That is like hectic. Yeah, that and and uh, Brendan Newton, I think the um, the booger there dropping out oh. of the uh, just pin dropping. Oh, you know who shuttle copy. You know uh, who wrote it, mate? Uh, what's the skimboarder's name from um, a few years Donkey? ago? Donkey? Kidding me? Did, Brad Donkey? Oh, yeah. Donkey. Yeah. Donkey really? had a crack on it, got what? lipped, went over with the lip onto the slab and ripped his arm completely off his body. Like he, he dislocated his Holy whole shit. arm. Uh, it was held on with the skin, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, he got whipped on it. Well, tackling he gave a crack. <laughs> well, he had a crack. Good on you. I mean, you got to have a crack, don't you, Vaughn? Oh, you got to have a crack. But uh, taking on Cyclops on a skimboard, I mean, you're asking for death and destruction. That's a, a little bit mad. Any more there, Smithy? Oh, we have uh, from Jamie Bester. How many times do you have to sit back and let a local burn you and paddle up your inside before you can tell him he's fucking tripping? Um, I would say... It's <laughs> a hard question. I'm probably going to get faded once. Before I have words, but maybe not these days, actually. I'll probably just go in. I'm Depends so... Depends where you're from. Yeah. Depends where it is. Mm, I, I, I had my fair share at Lennox mm. when I first came up here. Mm. And then now I'm all right. But, yeah, I guess it's where, wherever it is. Mm. You just go in. What's the worst? Uh, if treat- someone keeps fading you, then you just go, oh, I'm just not going to win out here. So mm. I'm just going to, like, yeah. <laughs> What's the worst treatment you've had? Um... I haven't really had any like crazy bad ones just because I'm just not that type of person that will just like keep going if I keep getting faded. I'm just like, yeah, I'll go in. This isn't my surf kind of thing. Mm. Um, Have you ever lost it? Have you ever arced up and had to just, you know, really yeah, give I've someone a surf? Lost it at um, I, I, some, there's some bit of part of me that loses it at uh, volunteer lifeguards. Oh, well. Interesting Not the story. council lifeguards, the volunteer yeah. lifeguards. Yeah. Didn't that remember Blake Thornton, the former world tour surfer? Pretty sure he was surfing down at Cronulla there and got run over by one of those things. That cut, yeah. cut his stomach and shit. Like fucked him up. Got a massive yeah. payout from it. Fair they, those guys shit me. Yeah. What even are they? They're these weird accountants and business executives whipping around on rubber duckies and crowded lineups and yeah. with their swimmers wedged up their ass. It's the all best. a very bizarre charade, Vaughn. I don't know what oh, to make yeah, of it. Yeah, the best I ever saw. Best ever uh, volunteer uh, lifeguard running ever. I was uh, checking the surf at South Narrabeen one day. It was like one foot onshore. But it, the bank was a little bit out. Yeah, and um, there was not a soul on the beach. It was just the middle of winter, as shit house as you can imagine it. And Aussie was surfing between the flags, and I just saw this guy run down with this whistle, and he's just going, <laughs> <laughs> just waving Aussie out of the flags, and Aussie's just looking at him and just not even moving because there's no waves. Yeah. And this guy just starts disrobing, jumps in, starts swimming out towards Oz, and he's like, you can hear him blowing up in the water. Get out of the flags! 
<laughs> and Oz just slowly like paddles away from him because he's on the board. He's got no hope of ever getting. This guy chases him like a fucking shark about forty meters up the beach, and then Oz just does a Yui and just paddles straight back and swims with, like back to the bank between the flags. Well played. The guy comes in, runs up, gets the rubber ducky. And wheels it down the beach and puts it in and starts chasing Oz around on the rubber ducky. It was fucking comical, mate. Yeah. It was out of the cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> fucking madness. Yeah, fuck, it's so hectic. Oh, just one power time. tripping like fucking lunatics. Mate. I had one where like it was just a Sunday. I think I just got back from Europe and we went for like a, I was in Cronulla. We went for like a family surf. So like my whole family surfs, dad, mm. mom, got a little brother who's 13. And I think he was pretty young at the time. I think he was probably like eight or nine. And there was the Sunday, there was the clubbies going on and like um, everyone, the nippers. And there was, it was dead flat. There was one bank. It was like a triangle. It was super nice. On the whole beach, there was this one triangle bank with like probably 10 people surfing. And these fucking voluntary lifeguard water safety guys, they decided to put the nippers to swim around the bank, like from one side to the other. But either side, it was dead. <laughs> it was dead calm. There was deep water. Like, yeah. And I was like, this is stupid. And the water safety guys were like telling us to get out of the fucking area because they put the cans out the back out the back of us. And I was like, I was telling the guy, hey, there's the odd set that's going to like wipe them out. And they were probably like eight or nine-year-old kids mm. swimming around and this water safety guy was like, no, there's rips either side of us. And I was like looking around. It was dead calm. It was nearly <laughs> like a lake. And I was like, oh, whatever. And then sure enough, this one rogue three-foot set came. Old mate fucking flipped his board, tried to do a roll, <gasps> let go of it and hit like four kids when they were swimming oh! out. And I had to go and like get with my board. I was like, I fucking told you so. Fuck you. You don't know shit. Like fuck it. And I was just like, you just come down here on the weekends. Like just, I was just so angry. Yeah. Had to like rescue these like three or four kids crying, like put them on the put them on the board, like swim in. And like, it was funny because. My dad was like, calm down, Connor. And then mum was like, yeah, it's fucking tell him because mum hates him. Amazing. She's like, fucking tell him. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, 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 it's an age old beef, isn't it? Born yeah, the, cl- the clubbies and the surfers. Oh, it's ancient. When, oh, when it I first goes started, back a ways. When I first started at Surfing World, um, I got jocks wrong to write a story about it because I was going, this, this beef is worth sort of like. Diving into a little deeper just to sort of figure the, out what's going on. They're the fascists. They're the Donald Trumps of the surfing well, community, goes, aren't they, Vaughn? It goes right back to basically, um, you know, surfers uh, back in the day were the volunteer clubbies. Like that, that yeah. that's all the guys who were spending half their time in the ocean. You mean they were, they were once upon a time they were us? We were them, actually. <laughs> it's, it's the other way around. And so... Oh, you're uh, joking! All the big boards, you know, before the Malibus and even, Mm. you know, the the hardwoods, they were these hollowed out giant toothpicks, right, which you just had to keep at the surf club. Mm. But what happened was uh, the split started to occur when people just wanted to surf all day instead of hang at the uh, surf club doing the walk-bys and the, you know, that weird thing where it's (laughs) it's like you're feeding the... (laughs) What's that thing called? The <laughs> fucking the R and R and R. The R and R. The R and R. The R and R. It really went sour when the clubbies made you register your surfboard. Oh, that, that's what where a... that's where the split mm. first happened. Because if your surfboard wasn't registered, just like a car, they'd take it, stick it in the clubhouse, and that was it. No leggies back then, so you know they were always washing up on the beach. And there's the war. That's the seeds. It all comes mm. from. Fuck 
Clubby's trying to <laughs> back, back surface expense as usual. Authoritarianism, fascism gone mad. Point. But then again, the the council guys. I mean, in Cronulla, the council guys. I'm pretty close mates with. They're all surfers. Like the council guys are sweet. They're just the guys that are like the Monday to Friday. Mm. You know, they're actually surfers and they know what's going on. It's yeah. just those fucking the guys no, that just come I mean, in you know, on Sunday. It, it, and it can sound like we're making sweeping generalisations in yeah. here with a lot Us? of stuff. Never. With a lot of stuff. <laughs> but generally speaking, we're only yeah. picking out the obvious fucking ding-dongs yeah. that no one wants a piece of. All right, Vaughan, let's wrap it up. I've given myself a headache from yelling. Beautiful, Smithy. <laughs> uh, hang on. I just want to just check what Surf Ads has written here because they usually chips in with something good. Uh, when will the full tilt... Knees locked, corn dragging, Archie infused, all so oh, abso-fucking-lutely committed roundhouse cutty make its well-deserved, re- make its deserved return to the CT judging criteria. And who do you think would have the best railing technique? Ooh, I butchered I that question. It. He's a no, fucking really it. good Great rider, question. I'm sorry. But the question good is, question. it's a good one to finish the ep on, full-blown Archie style, fucking laid over... You know, just bloodshot flexing, eyes. just <laughs> shit coming out of your butthole while you're just pushing through the G's right up into the pocket and just fucking powered it. When's that going to make a comeback? Fuck, do we I'll see them? Do you see them? Like, I think what, uh, uh, you know, if I'm thinking back to CT heats, you see really good calves, but you mm. rarely see the, uh, the attack of the pocket on a full figure eight. That hard, like you yeah. kind of see a lot of nursing into that turn, so that you got more 100%. speed when you come out of it. Is it scored? Is it scored well? I don't, I don't reckon it gets the recognition it deserves. Eh, I, I think it. It's such a hard maneuver to do. It's probably like one of the hardest to actually do the whole figure eight and then click it up in that pocket of the foam perfectly where it throws heaps of spray and you come back down with speed. I feel like it's so hard to do, but they act up. They act like it's an in between turn. So maybe that's why don't, not many people do it. I feel like Joel and Mick and Kelly in that sort of like little – that era when all three of them were just at their peak, there was a fair few of them. Yeah, there was, yeah. And Joel uh, was really good at them. Yeah. And he was getting scored really well for them. Yeah, I don't know. I just Joel, Joel at Bells, you know, like, the, like an eight-foot day at Bells where it's just buttery and he would just – you know, I, I think the sign of a really good cutty is a couple of little goat pellets in your undies when you finish one. <laughs> you, you, you want to push it that hard. There's no pellets. You fucking haven't done it properly. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been a while since we've seen a couple of pellets leak out the board shorts for a World Tour competitor. Perhaps that's why the judges the of a Doctum Vaughan. Yes, that's correct. I mean, and the goat, let's be real, owns probably the most clinical and precise and Aesthetically pleasing roundhouse cutback in the game. Yeah, and uh, there's a if you want to see one of the best ever, there's a, a clip of him in an old movie called Kelly Slater in Color, which is a, a, a very uncelebrated and rightfully so dodgy sort of follow up, like very very dodgy follow up to Black and White. Mm. But um, he does do this one cutty. It's filmed looking down the beach, looking straight in a back door, and he comes out of this pit does the full roundy back into the barrel and hits the foam ball inside the pit. And because you're looking into the wave, it's fucking unbelievable, mate. Check it out if you get a chance. (laughs) Mental. Thanks for coming in, Connor. Been a pleasure, mate. Pleasure. Fucking huge swelling fan. It's good to have you. uh, Thanks to everyone who wrote in and uh, up the swellians. And see you soon. Up the swellians. Donate now. Kidding me?
Are you kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? This guy, are you kidding me? 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 Kidding me? Kidding me? You kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me, right? You gotta be kidding me. What? You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? You kidding me. You kidding me? Are 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 you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you fucking 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 kidding me? You've got to be fucking kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me?